Hola, hola Charlito. Charlito. Hola Charlie. Hey Charlie. Okay, Charlie. Is your name Charles? It's Charlie, not Charles. some boys. Yo, give me a word right now. Uh, Metropolis. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I lived, born and raised in the Metropolis. Hey. People try to put a ceiling on top, but they ain't stopping this. Hey. Why? Because I'm black inside. I hey. got this. Hey. Born from kings. Look within. But I look above. I see the same thing. Ooh. Bronx. Bronx. Yes. Yikes, <laughs> baby. Happy yikes. Where hip-hop was born. So, I have a special guest today. Here. A former math teacher in the Bronx for 12 years. Yoga. Joe, as he's known by the frat, <laughs> uh, created a yoga math curriculum to introduce mindfulness into the classroom. Uh, now he's a full-time yoga teacher. He's a frat brother. He's a friend. Joseph Mata. What's up, brother? What's up, my brother? Thanks for having me here. Appreciate you. Of course, man. Of course. It's been a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How are you? I'm good. I can't complain. Yeah? In my best life. Okay. <laughs> what is that best life? What does that best life look like? Uh, being at peace and serving my community. There we go. You know, my whole thing is you either inspire or expire. Mm. You have one choice. Mm. You want to live, then other people need to live too. Mm. Interesting. Okay, we, hey, we're starting at a heavy note, so if that's where we want to go, hold on, let yeah. me take a second. The only this. journey is the inner journey, Bobby. The you only journey know. is the inner journey. And um, how is your family? Your family's doing okay? My family's doing well. Okay, work? Work is fine? Uh, I was definitely affected by COVID okay. because, you know, I'm a yoga teacher and I teach yoga in spaces, but because of COVID, I had to switch things up. But I'm adapting. I have so many friends that are adapting right now uh, that work in the service industry. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, some of them are doing, whether they're fitness trainers or doing online classes, uh, I'm not sure if that's bringing in the same revenue that they were getting before. Uh, but, yeah, and then people obviously working at restaurants are struggling. Uh, people that work in nightlife are struggling. So, you know, we're, we're living through unprecedented times, which is why even more of a reason now um, for people to be doing such practices such as yoga and meditation. Don't you agree? Oh, definitely. You know, what I noticed a lot is that because of such of the drastic change, a lot of people didn't realize what they were attached to. Mm. And because of that, there is causing stress and and an imbalance in their lives. Interesting. Yeah. So you see people, you know, we see how in New York City, the murder rate increased by 23 percent. Yeah. So there's a lot going on inside the psyche of people because, honestly, they just don't know themselves as much as they think they do. And the moment you take away something that they're attached to, which they didn't realize was very important to them in their subconscious, they get disheveled, they don't know where to turn, and for for some people, it turns to violence and, and just uh, depression. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately, you're seeing a lot of that in the Bronx mm-hmm. right now. Um, it's a it's a sad thing, you know. Something has to change. 
But you know, as far as as far as yoga practice is concerned, um, are you are you able to host classes online? I am, yeah, for sure. I host classes through Zoom, but the whole landscape has changed. Mm. Why is that? uh, Well, I'm a people person. I like being in front of people. I like having that group flow state when I'm teaching a class. It's a little different when you're doing through Zoom. So trying to connect via technology is something that people have to adapt to. I'm still learning. I'm working on that, but I'm hoping it's okay. Yeah, what you do is necessary, especially with the increase, with the uptake in violence um, in, in New York City in particular. Uh, you know, practicing mindfulness is something that can save lives, can prevent people from making mistakes that are going to cost them their lives due to retaliation or, you know, end up in prison. You know, when it comes to uh, persons uh, of color being convicted um, especially for, for violent crimes in New York City, that is still something uh, that the courts are taking extremely serious. It doesn't matter what people are saying about bail, bail reform. When it comes to violence, um, they are going full force. So it's, it's about empowering the community, empowering our young males who uh, Definitely. Uh, may feel that they don't have any other options, any other outlets to breathe. Right? Isn't that what yoga and meditation is about? It's just breathing. How many situations can be avoided if you just take a breath? I tell everybody, you know, when you have a a stressful situation, maybe you have a friend to talk to or a therapist. But what happens when they're not there? Right. Right? Something that you always have with you is your body and your breath. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can't perform some physical actions right some people work out to feel better maybe you're not in that space maybe you're in an elevator maybe you're on a train but wherever you go you always have your breath your breath is an opportunity to begin again every moment is an opportunity to begin again but that breath will open the door for you Mm. what breath has done for me in the last two years you know you and i we were talking about uh my my experience with therapy and what therapy has done for me has made me focused on breath. I'm not afraid to talk about therapy because I actually encourage people to do therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the beginning stages or in the beginning uh, sessions that I had with my therapist, she realized that I was all over the place as far as not breathing right, anxious, uh, looking to get something done, and I couldn't stay still. So she would always start off a therapy session with a breathing practice. And uh, when I tell you that became normal for me, that normalized me taking those breathing exercises and incorporating them into my daily life, into my daily practice, I've seen tremendous changes. I've seen game-changing, you know, effects. I've seen it in I've seen it in the way that I talk to people, and how less I'm triggered by people. I see it in my mood. I see it in my clarity of thought where I'm able to um, really visualize what I want to say or how I want to analyze a certain situation. You know, I'm really big on understanding both sides of any story. As a criminal defense attorney, that's, you know, you obviously want to hear the other side. But unfortunately, in my personal life, you get lost in that perspective. Of, of always doing, uh, you become overworked and you become fatigued. 
you do not become the best version of yourself. So breathing to me has been so powerful, so impactful in my life uh, that, that that's why, you know, I wanted to bring you on to just talk about these practices, these coping mechanisms that can help people in their daily life in order for them to become their better selves for themselves, obviously, but also for their families, right? And mm-hmm. eventually for their society, for their community. You know, definitely, you know, we're raised to, we're taught on what to do, what to do, but no one teaches us how to be, mm. right? We're human beings, or better yet, we're beings being human, at least for now. Right. But we're too busy with just dealing with this outside world. You know, that was a main issue with me being a math teacher, right? We learned about science and math and history and grammar, but there was no class that we got to study ourselves. Mm. Why is that? Bro. Right? We're all focused on the outer world, but not on the inner reality. Imagine if you had a class when you were young, and they took out time for you to understand the governing dynamics of your own consciousness. What is triggering your body, right. you know, in the, in, in the outer world that's causing you to have this intuitive feeling or what's bringing up this anxiety for you what what are these external triggers what are these psychological triggers that are going on right now if you had that opportunity to explore your inner landscape at a young age imagine how much different you would be right now well let me tell you this at a young age uh and i explored this topic with uh with with angie um on the last episode angie abreu and it was interesting for me because I was actually uncovering that, putting myself back into that place when I was three or four years old. And I was in a doctor's office in a room that appeared to be like a record studio room with a keyboard and everything. And there were many different lights. And this doctor uh, started uh, putting pads or, or patches on my head to uh, analyze my brain waves. When I was young, I had a pretty visible stuttering uh, problem. And um, so he wanted to analyze my brain waves and see where that was coming from. Mm. Now, no one talked to me about anxiety or about stress. To me, that at that age, that would have been the opportunity to talk to me about stress and anxiety and maybe, uh, you know, about breathing uh, differently um, or taking practices such as yoga. How old is yoga, the practice itself? Yoga, I mean, there's different ideas of when it comes, how far it goes. Some people say it goes from Egypt. Some people right. say it comes from e- um, India. But it, I would say around, roughly around, honestly, it's, it's debatable. It's debatable because there's different versions of it. But right. we see examples of people using movement to change the way they feel or to right. uh, collapse this dualistic reality and feel that oneness or like what we're talking about, uh, Maya, the illusion of, of, of that's created because of our ego and all the things that have been imposed and impressed by us by conditioning, by society, by our family, etc. So, so what are these physical, you, you, know, you, know, you mentioned physical uh, mannerisms that people do in order to cope? Yes. So okay. it's, a, it's called embodied cognition. So we have something called the vagus nerve in our body. So just like our mind, we could think of something and it could change our physiology, right? 
or an uh, something happened like I break up with an ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. and all of a sudden now I don't want to eat. It's affecting right. me physically. Right. But at the same time, it goes the other way. If I put myself in certain poses or if I move my body in certain ways or how I respond to gravity in certain ways, that can change my mental state. Right. So it goes both ways. And that's basically embodied cognition. I change my mental state using my body and using my breath. So that's why I personally do when I teach my students. Yoga. So let me ask you this. How early have you seen this practiced on people? And that's what I'm saying, because just to bring it back full circle, I think I would have benefited, and to answer your question, I would have benefited tremendously by a practice like that uh, as, a, as a four or five-year-old mm-hmm. child. So, you know, in your experience, do you see that practice on toddlers, on five you know, big kids, I guess, you know, if you will, because five, six-year-olds aren't toddlers. Mm-hmm. But, like, how young have you seen the person uh, practicing, you know, that, that, uh, that coping mechanism that you talk about? Well, you know, uh, there's people that teach kids yoga, and it's basically yoga-fied games that they have mm-hmm. to use their body. But I wouldn't necessarily call that yoga unless there is some type of self-study going on. Mm-hmm. So you want the person to be pretty self-aware right when we're born we're just born aware and then we develop an identity and eventually we want to separate ourselves from the identity we go from awareness to being self-aware to hopefully maybe just building on that awareness because the self is always changing right there's a part of you that's always changing but there's a part of you that remains the same Mm -hmm. and once you have that cognitive ability to discern the difference between the two that's when the journey really begins so if you have somebody in your life or yoga teacher or some type of role model that can introduce that to you at the age where you're ready to think of those uh deeper thoughts right these intangible things but somehow create the form then you would be ready for yoga but i've seen people learn yoga in middle school you know at the end of the day our family is our first teacher Mm -hmm. so you can be you can learn that at a very young age but it's a it's about creating the space for it. You know, one of my favorite quotes is, um, I believe it's Lao Tzu. He says, a good teacher tells you where to look, but he doesn't tell you what to see. Mm. I, would, I would imagine parents are reluctant to allow, uh, you know, any, anyone else to speak to their child in that way, mm-hmm. in such, you know, in, in such a deep uh, mentorship. It's deeper than mentorship. No, yes, for sure. You know, first of all, a lot of people were iffy about yoga going into schools because they thought it was kind of religious. Right. And, you know, it has a Hindu background. And, you know, maybe someone's Christian or Catholic doesn't want their child to experience that. Yeah, But at the same time, which you could do yoga and not (laughs) be Hindu, right? Um, Right. I'm just spiritual. Right. However, these type of practices make you question everything. Right. And some parents, I think... They don't want that. They don't want that. They, 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 feel they, they want to raise. Power. They want to raise their children to be a certain way, you know. Just so they create these identities, and that's why it's so important for parents to take that approach. I think. I think that would be great. The other day, I saw something on social media. Uh, CP. I think it was CP three. Was it CP three? He's the point guard. He was celebrating his daughter, and he posted her on social media, and she was. Uh, Punching, she had punching gloves, and she was punching an image of Donald Trump. Mm, okay. She's, you know, she doesn't look like she's older than seven or eight. 
you know, and the question is whether she formulated that position herself, whether she thought about it herself, or was that she sees where her parents are believing, and therefore, um, and, and her parents are also instilling her with certain virtues. Look, I would do the same thing. I mean, I would believe the same thing, but going to your point, as far as making sure that you're not influencing your child, that you're giving them space to come up with their own thoughts, uh, but you're also n- nurturing them. Like there's a there's an interesting dance. Exactly. When it comes to raising a child in that way, you know, um, that's interesting. And let's talk about you. What happened in your life that led you to do the work that you do? And how old were you when that happened? Well, I would say it started when I was 16. I started practicing Wing Chun Kung Fu with my twin brother in the city, and that introduced me to things like qigong meditation. Hold on, hold on. I'm just going to drop a twin brother. Uh, yeah. I didn't even know you were a twin, bro. Yeah, bro, I have a twin. He's uh, 15 minutes younger than me. Okay. Shout out to my twin brother, Peter. That's a long time. 15 minutes is a long time. Yeah, I know. It's I usually, what, like five, ten minutes? <laughs> he wanted to just chill in the womb before he saw the light and took it, his first breath. Is he is, is he like you? Is he? Uh, yeah, he's definitely into the math. Uh, I'm, I would say I'm a little more into the spiritual side. He's more into the logical side, but he has a balance of both, you know. Okay. Are you identical twins? Uh, no, we're fraternal. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I always wanted a twin, man. Uh, yeah. I always <laughs> wanted a twin, you know? Yeah. But anyway, all right, so going back to your story. Yeah, so uh, I was 16, started Kung Fu and introduced me to things like Qigong, you know, moving energy throughout my body, how to regenerate force through movement, uh, how to respond to energy, a.k.a. someone trying to attack you. So he was just beating up kids in the neighborhood. Trying not to, trying not to, (laughs) but definitely wanted to practice, see what worked and what didn't. But that really introduced me to those concepts. At the same time at 16, I bought these two books that some Africans were selling in the street. You know how back in the day you had Africans selling a whole bunch of books in the streets? I can't remember if it was like Union Square or something, something like that. Bought these two books. One was The Secret Science, which is was a basic, very basic uh, interpretation of Hermeticism or Rosicrucian philosophy. Okay. And another one was The Tree of Life Meditation System, which was based a meditation system based on the Kabbalistic tree. And that really introduced me to the, the more esoteric side. Mm. Um, the inner reality, but at the same time, I was young, so I it was in my mind, but it was pretty confusing at the time, and I also had a friend who was into that stuff, so we didn't have these conversations of what life is about, who am I really, how do words shape our reality, Right. but with the Wing Chun, we were applying mathematical principles to fighting, for example, you know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, so we would punch straight things like that. So, you know, I was really applying the mathematics, like how do I get in on a person's center or a person's center line, uh, given a certain angle on how I move. So I was applying the math there. So that's when I really got to, uh, really got motivated about learning about mathematics, which I eventually would go to college right. and major in applied mathematics because I was already applying it, but through a fighting right. uh, example. So, you know, whatever gets you to... I guess uh, gets Whatever you gets to you like, to, like study the self. Study the self, educate yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting, and, and it was ownership and taking right? ownership that's, of that's yourself. That's the key. You, once you become aware of something, 
Nothing will change until you are responsible for what you're aware of. A lot of people read books and do all that shit. But if you're not responsible for what you're aware of, the outer world will not change. And you're just going to repeat things until you learn from them to move forward. And I think that's the bigger issue is the responsibility part. Right, right. And that's something that it's so important for young kids to get at an early Mm -hmm. age. You know, responsibility. And And you were doing all of this heavy work. Um, just because you wanted to learn how it works when it, when it comes to fighting. Yeah, of course. But, you know, I'm a light-skinned dude, born and raised in the Bronx. Right. I was looking You down, had to do what you got to do. You know, the people thought maybe I was a little soft, so, you know, I had to be ready. I had right. to be ready. Right, that's interesting. That's interesting. But at the time, you were learning math through fighting, but were you, what got you into, like, meditating? Because I know, uh, you know, I've been following you, you know, social media, and you're very big on starting your day, working on mm-hmm. yourself so that you can be your best self, so that you can go out there in the world and, and actually help others. Um, in, in some situations, it's, it's your students. Um, other situations, it's with family and friend dynamic. But um, what got you into meditation? Well, like I said, those two books that I picked up when I was 16, they were talked a lot about meditation and about the inner journey. So I always was dabbling into that. But mm. it wasn't until college that I really went deeper because all the meditations I did were more uh, based on fighting, you know. So so how would describe how meditation is when it comes down to fighting as opposed to just meditating uh, for yoga or meditating for mindfulness? Sure. So I used to, I still do at times, practice something like external qigong, which basically trying to move the qi throughout your body so you can have a type of energetic armor mm. around you so you can be more sensitive to the stimuli in your environment, aka respond and punch somebody in the face. Right. And at the same time, it wouldn't hurt you as much. So I was using that meditation to give me energy and power as opposed to now when it's more of a rediscovery of my true nature. Gotcha. Gotcha. So Interesting. So that was the, the main difference. Okay, so cats on the block, when they saw you meditating, you were like, oh, shit. He's oh, yeah. To, yeah, yeah, they saw him meditating, then I do like a kung fu form or something like that, so right, they right. knew what it was. Okay, so that allowed for the transition of you meditating for the sake of preparing for your work day. What led you to meditate in college? Understanding infinity. So, as I'm majoring in applied math, mm. You know, the concept of infinity comes up and it really blew my mind how some infinities are bigger than others. How can something be forever? Two things could be forever, but one of them is bigger than the other. How is that possible if they're both forever? I'll just give you a quick example. Please do, please do, because I'm not (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not the math type. (laughs) Um, So let's say if we have the numbers one to infinity, one, two, three, four, five, six to infinity and beyond, right? It's infinite, it's forever. It's you can't measure it. We can understand it constantly. Conceptually, right, and that's one, two, three, four, five, six. So, what if I told you just the odd numbers one, three, five, seven to infinity still goes to infinity, but it has less elements than one, two, three, Three, four, four, five, five. six? Right, right. The the odd numbers going to infinity is a subset of a much larger or bigger infinity. So, you have infinities within other infinities so that really started bugging me out like how is that possible or how is it that you can have a like if you have space between your hands right and there's a limit you can measure that space it's 
three inches, three feet. Right. But if I zoom into that space, I can zoom into that space infinitely. Between zero and one, you think, oh, okay, that's there's limits. But if I tell you, write all the fractions between zero and one, you can make an infinite amount of fractions. So even though you're in a bounded wow. space, right. there's still infinity in there. How is that possible? In a given system, there's, some, there's an underlying infinite nature about it. So that really got me bugging out. And that's when I started meditating and I started seeing infinity everywhere. And I realized, holy shit, we are infinite ourselves because, like I mentioned before, like, you know, the body you have when you were 14 is not the body you have now. All your cells change. Everything's changed about you. But something keeps Charlie, Charlie. What is that thing that never changes? So infinity has to do with repetition, but also has to do with something that's... Uh, something that never changes so i was just really focusing on that and then i would just go to the trees in, in stony brook sit down and meditate and then that made me realize that we are ultimately connected to this outer world because we follow the same rules and these rules are based off of infinity interesting okay and when you tried to explain or when you did explain this to anyone else <sighs> What was the response? Oh, man. Because I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I'm not sure if I would have got what you were saying in college because of, my mind was all over the place. Yeah, For yeah. the same reasons why I wasn't great at math in high school, mm -hmm. right? But what was the response that you were getting when you were talking to people about math and meditation in very, this way? Very few people understood it. I definitely felt alone. You know, you might hear that the spiritual journey is very lonely. Um, people would just look at me funny and they would say things like, oh, you got that from The Secret. And I'm like, yo, I didn't even watch the movie The Secret. I got this from my meditations, bro. What are you talking about? So a lot of times people didn't even believe that I just and somehow came up with to these this. insights yeah, yourself. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I don't own these insights. These are just true for all of us. But right. when I would speak about it, they say, would say things like, oh, why are you trying to sound like a Kung Fu master? Stop watching those Kung Fu movies. And they will brush it off. Because they would just want to have fun, a.k.a. they were chasing pleasure and not chasing understanding. So I definitely, you know, I thought, I've been thinking like this for a long time, but I never was, I'm not, that open vocal. about it. Yeah, right. because I just, nobody was listening, to be right. honest. Very few people, like I could say like three people, you know, in Stonybrook, five people max. So I really kept it myself. So it was not a good response. So and in high school, were you a math enthusiast? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was definitely pretty good at math. Me and brother were definitely good at math, a.k.a. people used to cheat on me a couple of times. Yeah. But uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't as deep until I went into college. So it was in college that you started uh, seeing math as a way to understand yourself. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. I started learning about fractals and uh, how nature is based on fractal geometry, but that same geometry is within us. For example... Uh, fractals has to have to deal with self-similarity. So a basic example, a rough example, is when you have two mirrors facing each other. If you've seen two mirrors facing each other, and then it's like the reflection of the reflection, the reflection of the reflection, and it goes on into infinity. Right. So that could be like a basic example of what fractals are. It's something that's self-similar at all scales. So just to give you an example, if you have a tree, you see the branches, right? Right. Top of the tree is branches, the roots look like branches. What else look like branches? 
uh, river deltas, aka the pathway of rivers, look like branches. What else look like branches? Our nervous system. So you start seeing these reoccurring patterns, or what we people, or what people call lead patterns, reoccurring at all scales, aka super small or super big in the universe. But it's found in everything, even in ourselves. For example, if you look at our Milky Way galaxy, it's a spiral, right? It's a it's a, it's a specific spiral. You flush the toilet, you see the same exact spiral. You close your hand, what do you see? This is mathematically the same spiral. But if you look at where my joints are, doesn't that look like a leaf? Yeah. So I realize, oh my God, the fractals, the mathematics shows me that I'm connected to the tree, that I'm connected to the galaxy because the same mathematical principles that govern that galaxy, that govern how the water moves in a whirlpool or a tornado or how birds circle around or rather spiral around when they're trying to catch their prey is the same direction, is the same pattern, is the same math, and which is fractal. So that told me, oh, holy shit, we're connected. So I need to learn more about this mathematics. If I can learn more about this math, I'm going to learn about, more about myself. Then I started going, looking at different religions. And when you go to different religions, what do they all have? They all have geometric symbols. Why do they have geometric symbols? Because the world is information. Information is meaning using symbols, whether it's, you know, the English language. But geometry is different. Geometric symbols are different because they can represent anything, but also they can represent themselves. You can have a triangle that represents love. But a triangle can also represent a triangle. Right. No other symbols can do that. Or, you know, it, it, it can represent itself with the least amount of, or minimal amount of subjectivity. And that's why you see people using geometric or geometry to, to try to break down our universe or our consciousness. So I realized that a long time ago. So I, that's why, you know, I fell in love with math even more. So I just try to understand how the geometry, how my geometry is affecting my perception. Okay. So in order to understand that, because I think one of the issues that I had in school with, with math was that I understood it to be, I understood it to be different from all the other subjects mm-hmm. um, in the way you had to prepare for that subject. Um, so before we start talking about geometry and and, and, and shapes, you know, what do you think a person needs to know to be well equipped to actually learn math in that level, in that depth? You know, when, we're, when we learn math in school, we're learning how to apply math. We're, we're measuring shapes, right? We never learn or understand how we are connected to the math. Like, like I've told you before, people you would tell me, Mata, I'm not going to use Pythagorean theorem on the block. And I would tell them, well, you're going to use problem-solving skills. And in fact, you're a mathematical being, whether you like it or not. You're an, you could call yourself a number, you're just attaching a storyline, and that storyline can be the Maya, the ego, the right. identity. Right. We're going to get into the Maya because mm-hmm. the Maya is interesting. You know, for example, when you, you were playing football, I throw a football to you. In my mind, I'm not, I'm not thinking about the wind and the force and the velocity of the football. However, I'm, ca- I'm calculating it without the use of number, with the use of feeling. I feel it out. I know it's the right distance 
Charlie's right. going to catch it. Right. I didn't use number. I didn't calculate it consciously. But I did some. I did use mathematical principles to determine how much, but it was gotcha. all through feeling. When you learn the math, it was all logical. There was no feeling attached to it. And at the same time, in a math class, it really does a math teacher give the opportunity for a student to have an opinion. If X equals 4, the answer is 4. Right. That's it. Yeah. There was never a time when you could say, well, maybe it could be 5. It's not or, debatable. Everything it's not is debatable. Like very definite, right? So, and, that's, and that's one of the reasons why I felt, uh, one of the reasons why I didn't really connect with math. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there was always an answer to it. And the answer was usually uh, arrived at through various... It was usually arrived through various equations. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I felt there was a lot of memorization in that compared to other classes. I mean, maybe physics, obviously, because physics have math in it, right? Mm-hmm. But everything else came so much more easier to me. And I resented the fact that the school was trying to present math to me as if it acquired, it demanded the same amount of attention in which it didn't. And I think it's because of these numbers and and the lack of being able to connect with these numbers as a young child. Well, for me, I'm only talking for me because I'm sure there were many math wizards um, (laughs) when I was in high school, right? And they somehow connected with math. Um, but I didn't see how it applied to life. I seen, you know, you and I, we spoke about uh, people arriving at, uh, at certain positions in their lives without really having a full understanding of math. As a young child, you would see that. Um, I knew business involved math, but we didn't know to what capacity you needed to know math for that. You know, so it, it's interesting that you, that you were attracted to math at a certain early age, and you were able to see the connection between not only those numbers, but yourself through math. That's really interesting to me. Um, So as far as teaching math through yoga, um, how did did that come about? So I was teaching math for a while. uh, And, you know, obviously prepping them for the regions, things like that. But I realized that the students... They didn't know themselves. They they had the will, the desire to pass, but they didn't know what was stopping them. So then I started introducing philosophy, right? I, was, I, I realized that they need to have a space. In, my, in the school that I was at, they didn't have a philosophy club or anything. I made a philosophy club before right. I did the yoga math or anything yeah. like that. And they needed a space where they could talk about things that are intangible, things that are hidden in plain sight. So I would introduce that into the math class and I started something called mathematics. It was a name given to me. Mathematics, yeah. ah, I like that. It was a game given to me by a janitor, actually. I walked in one day and he was like, you don't teach math, you teach mathematics because I'm connecting math with philosophy. And the first thing, well, the fact is, one of the reasons, like what you were saying, why people didn't understand math because you only use math in the classroom, right? Or I just need to take it for the regents and then I'm done. Right. And people in my life are successful, but they can't even help me out with my homework. Why the fuck do I need to learn? People that brought you into this world couldn't help you out with math equations. Mm -hmm. And they're grown-ass people. That govern you. That govern you, that are conditioning you, that are priming you with certain ideas. So I started this mathematics, and I needed to 
build that connection. I'll just give you an example. The first thing I would do, let's say on Friday, it was called Mathematics Fridays. It was two questions. What does this mean to you and how does it relate to mathematics? And the first philosophical prompt I had, and I'll ask you for Jones about right now, is limitation is merely amnesia. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you, like in your life, outside of the math classroom? Uh, what does that mean in regards to math? So I was trying to connect the outside of the classroom and what we learn inside. So what that means to me is that you have to be patient with yourself because you're going to fail a lot in discovering what your potential is. And you're going to get there um, or you would be in the journey to get there. But the same attitude, the same tools that you need to solve a mathematical equation uh, can help you in life pursue your potential, whatever potential that may be. Um, and math allows you to consider everything. There's not a set number of things that you can consider to determine what your potential is. Anything can influence or contribute to your potential. And that's what I'm getting from I mean, that's how I would respond to your question, you know? And that's, that's a great uh, response. And you're hinting at this something forever, this infinite, this infinite amount of possibilities. Because I don't know. I don't know if I know what my potential is. Because mm-hmm. I don't know if I have all the senses yet. I don't know if I'm acting on all of my senses in arriving at this response for you, you know? Um, and I don't know if, I'm, if there's going to be an additional sense that I'm going to acquire <laughs> down the line, you know? Um, you know, so that's a very interesting question. And when you, when you ask it as such, I can see how a 15, 16 year old Charlie would have said, you know what? Okay. It's going to take patience. It's going to take some failures, but I want to figure this out because whatever I do in this math class is going to transcend what I do outside of the math class. Um, because I don't know what I'm capable of, but I have to keep going, and I have to keep trying. I'm all over the place, but yeah, that's how I feel about that. Um, yeah, so I wanted, you know, my kids would tell me like, "Oh, you're hurting my brain." I was like, "Well, that means you're fucking thinking." Right. So, good job. That's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to think and step outside. What is this idea of limits and this? idea of forgetfulness how are they related and that later on we can talk about how that deals with maya this forgetfulness right. of who we truly are that we're infinite and eternal right because we you know yeah. nothing truly dies you know what we're always conscious right so let me ask you this thing about forgetfulness this this forgetfulness do you think it's intentional that we because like when you say forgetfulness in what context are you talking about forgetfulness yeah it has to do with what we're paying attention to right and sometimes we choose whether we subconsciously or consciously choose I as a student was always impatient and at times I didn't trust myself enough Uh, I always had a million thoughts some were painful some I avoided for example I rarely thought about my father who had passed away when I was very young though I loved him immensely I didn't make that mathematical equation when it came to that you know, I didn't consider that. I didn't, you know, it wasn't a part of my, my thinking. I chose not to 
even delve into that. You know, and thanks to you, I'm connecting that with my failure to really push myself in math, you know, in those math courses. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so we're talking about math, and then you dare to tell someone in the Bronx, because you (laughs) taught in the Bronx, right? Only in the Bronx. Only in the Bronx. Only in the Bronx. You dare to tell someone that is probably in survival mode, probably has a million things going through his or her mind, stresses, anxieties, depressions, you would hope they do not have suicidal ideations. And you ask them to be still in their thoughts through meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have them, we would do meditations before tests, right? Because math anxiety is a real fucking thing. Right. You know, people tell you, this is how you study, you, you say this five times in your head, but no one tells you how to put your body in the proper place mm. to... Uh, get a good test score so that's what right. I was doing but with the Ma- Mathematics Fridays that's how I introduced them having an opinion and the fact that I was asking for their opinion in a place where they never get to share their opinion they felt empowered I'm 15 years old and this math teacher is asking me a math question and he values my opinion right. that's super powerful so it became super popular you know, everybody want to come to the math class. Even people that I wasn't there teaching, they was always trying to, like, cut, sneak through. Right. But just the fact that I gave them the opportunity to develop their own idea with math empowered them, and it started changing their perception of what math really means. And that's how I introduced the meditation. Like, now we're so going into okay. self-study. All right, all right. So, all right. So that came. So you start talking to them about math. Mm-hmm. And as they get interested in math, you start talking to them about meditation. Yes, meditation and, and self-study and, and uh, awareness, right? Okay. Because when they say, what does math mean to you? Now, just like what you did, you're going through this like mental Rolodex of your life. And mm-hmm. what's the limitation? Well, when did right, I forget? Right. So now... Why did I cap that off? Yeah, right, right. exactly. So it gave them opportunity to look at themselves as opposed to like, yo, you just got to study this for the regions, my dude. Damn. Or... You got to do this for a test. No, now you're doing it for yourself. I'm asking you, I'm making you look in the mirror. Right. When you also, look in the mirror in, in high school or in the school, when do you look in the mirror? Um, you know, it's always about doing something. I'm, I'm asking you, how do you perceive? How do you perceive yourself? How do you perceive reality? And Very how different. Did, how did these students um, generally respond to that? Uh, they loved it. It was a way to make it uh, interdisciplinary because people would pull in things they learn in social studies, people will uh, pull in things they learn from their block, from their mother, to try to answer that question. Mm-hmm. So you have these colorful ideas about what limitation is mm-hmm. or what amnesia is and why we def- forget. And then, of course, I say, well, why do you forget who you are if you yourself all this time? Are you, though? And I would say to them, my man, do you really think your thoughts are your own? And they'd be like, what, what, what do you mean? And I ask them, are your thoughts your own or is it something that your mother told you or something that your mother told you or something you saw on the block something you saw in a music video right and they have to create space between thoughts space between what they were experienced and then I said alright I'm you know starting how to see I'm starting to see the correlation between yeah. math and being definite about that one answer exactly so I said oh you know how do we speak, uh, create space between thoughts meditation that's how we're going to create the space because at the end of the, at the end of the day we're not 
we are not things. We are what allow things to be. I'm mm. not my mind. I'm a, I am what allows my mind to be. This is my arm, but my arm is not me. Right. right? I am the thingness of things. I'm not just the thing. Right. I'm not the element in a set. I'm the set as well. The space, the comma, the brackets. I'm all of that. But it depends where your attention and awareness is right. for you to see. And that's how you bring things that are hidden in plain sight into view. Right. So it was a lot. That was the attention awareness training through the meditation. But I first had them thinking. And I said, right, you know what? Let's start this inner journey. Because I can't answer that question for you. You're going to have to develop the language for your own psyche and your own consciousness. And then you use that language and you try to share it to me, communicate it to me, community, communion, pardon, sharing, through the language and aka answer the question and share with the rest of the class. So that's how, you know, I introduced them through the meditation. I made them question themselves or question reality. And I said, well, you know what? Let's get our mind and our body ready to make sure that what I'm saying is me and not just something I'm repeating from TV, from Bobby, from right. Mommy, from my cousin, from right. the block. This is me. And presently, not what I'm conditioned or primed or something that was imposed by the geometry of my experience. Right. Arbitrary reasons such as religion you were born in, the school exactly. that you went to, geography. Okay, you could have been anywhere teaching, you know, yoga and math and encouraging people to do this. But I've seen I've seen clips of you talking about this in classroom with former students outside of the classroom. I also seen you in the projects, hold, hosting yoga classes, uh, San Nicholas houses, right in Harlem. Mm-hmm. Shout out to San Nicholas houses. You're in these under, you're in these underserved communities plagued by crime, poverty, low level education. You could be anywhere teaching this. Why? Why is it so important for you to do this with the community? Why do black and pro- black and brown people have to leave the community to experience medicinal practices? Why? Why can I not see my neighbor practice yoga? Oh, my God, I want to help myself. Let me go down to the city. Let me go to Union Square. Let me go to a different place where I'm going to be even more of a minority and learn something that's going to help me. Right. Why? I didn't, you know, and for many people, that's unsustainable. They just can't do it. They don't have the money. They don't have the time to go to these places. And then when you go to these places... You might not even feel comfortable because you don't feel connected to the people around because they live, they're li- they might be nice people, but they're living totally different lives. So say, right. you, you don't have to go anywhere. You could be right here in your own neighborhood and eventually within your own body. So that's why, uh, you know, I was teaching yoga or I teach yoga in the city, specifically in these type of communities. Mm-hmm. That's the reason I taught math to begin with, right? Me and you, we're in the same fraternity and part of our goal is to uplift our community. Right. You know, uh, when I graduated college, long story short, I was, uh, one of my jobs was an AV technician because that's a job that I had while I was in college. So I got a job outside of college. And, you know, I had a mentor and he told me to uh, Manny Cortez, shout out to Manny Cortez. Okay. And there, there was a point in my life that I would either, I get into the teaching fellows, which I applied the year before and didn't get in, I applied again. But at the same time, I was offered a job opportunity to be a um, high-end audiovisual technician, paying right. well. So I had a choice. 
make money, sit behind the TV, pushing some buttons, or help my community. Mm. And he reminded me, he said, he said to me, what did you come here to do? Why you joined the fucking frat? Let me know right now. And I said, yo, I'm here to serve. He's like, then you know your fucking answer. He's like, all right, so I'm going to be a teacher. I'm born and raised in the Bronx. I need to raise the community that helped raise me. Mm. And that's the problem that I see, even with yoga teachers, straight up. You know, I don't fuck with a lot of yoga teachers. You know, a lot of us, we get educated, we leave, we don't come back. So the people on our commuter don't have an example. All the examples are so far away, ge- geographically far away. My examples of my own people are far away. I want to experience medicinal practices. That's far away. You know what I'm saying? One of the things I've heard, oh, being a yoga teacher, right, in this fitness type of stuff, yo, go to where the white people go. That's right. the only way, that's where you're going to make money. Right. But I, I didn't, that's not who I want to serve. Right. White people deserve yoga and that's amazing. But guess what? White people have so many good examples of white, great yoga teachers. How many and that they can connect to? How many yoga teachers can a person in a low-income community from the projects connect to? Right. And I said, nah, I'm going to teach here. Even if that means, you know, I don't get paid as much or whatever because we need that. People leave, but they don't come back. People need examples. I'm not here to impose. I'm here just to be an example. I'm here to be myself. I'm here just to create the space, whether it's a space between your thoughts or the space for you to recognize your true nature. I just create the space. Flowers grow on their own, right? They drink the sun, the water, the earth, the wind. No one teaches. The, the, the flower doesn't know its own geometry, right? It's not that self-aware, but a flower grows. It just needs the proper elements. It needs that space. So I said, you know what? I'm going to just create the space. After that, you're on your own because it takes responsibility. Right. I can create the space. I can, I can point you in the direct, right direction so you can be aware, but then it's up to you. It's for you to get on that yoga mat. It's for you to take the responsibility of that which you are aware of at that point in time. And what, that's awesome, man. What has been your experience with those that have taken your yoga classes? And yeah, and how does that inspire uh, you? It motivates you or oh, depletes you? What, what happens? It definitely motivates me. Obviously, you know, teaching in the project sometimes, it was definitely hard, right? Because... I'm sure you see everything. Oh, bro, let me tell you, one time... Straight up. I was teaching yoga in the projects. We're literally in the park, like, in the projects. I think it was in the one in St. Nick, or, or it was the Martin Luther King projects. We're chilling. People are throwing garbage outside the windows. We're, like, literally in the basketball court. Uh, these, these kids were high school kids. And then you have people from the projects literally just came onto the court, started saying what's up to them, and they're meditating. I'm like, yo, bro, can, we're meditating. He stepped outside. He's like, oh, fuck, suck my dick. And I'm like... All right, let me calm down. You know, let me be my best self. But, you know, we're, we're, we're here doing yoga. So you have that type. That's the environment they live in. Right. You know, another time I was in a uh, project in the Bronx and we took over the whole basketball court. Somebody didn't like that. And, you know, he's just grilling me and shit. And then I looked at him. He throws like a water balloon at me. And, like, you know, I blocked it. And then he comes, comes you know, starts walking by me. I'm like, what's up? You want to do yoga? Come down. You know, I just flipped it. Right. But in the kids' eyes, they would say, Mata, we need to leave. We need to leave. I said, no, we're not leaving. You're safe. You're okay. But you can see the trauma in the eyes. Like, oh, shit, some shit's about to pop off. We're going to get fucked up, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, we got this. We're being an example. You have to be strong. You, have, you cannot let fear govern your decision. Of course, I wouldn't put my students in danger. Right. I didn't feel in danger. But 
just how they were reacting because that's all they see. Fight or flight, fight or flight. And now we got this. We're going to control that fear. We're going to move through. And we're just going to do our damn thing. And that's it. Uh, I've had a great... And no one got hurt. Oh, no one got okay, hurt. No one got hurt. The moral of the story is that no one got hurt. Yeah, when the guy came, I was like, yo, what's up, dude? Yo, he started laughing because he thought I was going to... You know, I said it, you know, aggressive in a, in a nice way, but right, don't right, let the right. long hair fool you. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I'm a yoga teacher, but I ain't backing down. And I'm definitely not going to let you put my students in danger. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't live in these projects, right? I don't know what's the deal. I don't right. really know who this guy is. So obviously, I have to be careful. Uh, but I had, I'll give you a great example of how yoga was, is, can change people's lives. Uh, I, it was in one of the projects I taught yoga, right? And, you know, I came through. I was like, yo, we're going to do yoga. They were like, oh, my God, we don't want to do yoga. And, you know, especially when it comes to young kids, sometimes I have to be a little more authoritative. Like, nah, this is what we're going to do. You either like it or you don't like it, right? Because sometimes that you, I got to cold switch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I got to keep it a buck with them. Like, this is what we're going to do. You know, they need to feel that authority. That's what they understand. That's what they understand, right? We bring them out. We do yoga. In my mind, I'm like, all right, there, obviously there were people that were into it. There was other people that like, yo, I just want this done, right? Because they were getting paid to be there. And I said, if you want to get paid, you know, that was the incentive. So when it comes right. to young adults, you want some type of exent- incentive. Maybe it's something of monetary value. And they did the yoga. Boom. Right? That's the first time I met them. First time I met them, we had like 40 kids. And was it the day later or two days later? Shout out to Happy Healthy Latina, Yadira Garcia. Uh, she was one that actually orchestrated the whole event. And right. she, you know, she put me on. She was she's teach health, uh, healthy lifestyle, cooking. You know, she heals people through food. And that's what she was trying to do with those students. She was like, yo, Joe, come through, heal them with their body and mind. Right. I was like, I got you. You know, the combination is obviously the best. And she hits me up. And she's like, yo, Joe, you have no idea what happened. I'm like, oh, what's up? She's like, oh, you remember this girl? Um... Uh, uh, that was she took one of the classes, right? Plain and simple, that night or the next day, I can't remember the exact story. She had to go to court because she was a victim of something really bad. I don't want to really get into it. Of course, of course. You, could you don't have to think of I the mean, worst I thing. I wouldn't want you. Yeah, to. think of the worst thing that could happen to you from a family member. Okay, okay. Something really bad. Right. And she had to testify against this individual. And she told Yadira, she called Yadira and told her, thank you. And he's like, and you know, Yadira's like consoling her, like, yo, stay strong. And she was like, yo, I was in the court and I was scared to testify. I was scared I was crying. But then I heard Joseph's voice and he said, focus on your breath. Mm. Focus on your breath. And she told them, that she focused on her breath, and that's what allowed her to convict her, the person who had done right. all to the testify things. and mm-hmm. the jury find her testimony credible exactly. for them to convict. Right? You know, so to me that was powerful. You know, I cried out like, "Wow! Like this is this is why I do it." Right. I didn't know the background story. I didn't know this, but just something that just simple as focus on your breath that are, that empowered her to move forward and to do what she needed to do for herself. Right. right. So. I think about that when I go to these places. Right. You don't think about you don't think about these confrontations. You don't think nah, about I love that. Yeah. I know kung fu, right? Who cares? <laughs> Whatever. But right. you know That's the possibility awesome. that 
I can inspire someone or I can empower someone, right? right? I said it to the whole class. I didn't say it to her, but it changed her. It made her feel confident. And that alone was like, I'm good. I'm chilling. <laughs> I could die right now. You know what I'm saying? Like I said before, you either inspire or expire. I was like, yo, I'm already living forever, mm. you know? Because to me, it's not about how much you make. It's, it's what's the impact. Right. How, how do you bring possibility into someone else's lives? Right. Life. You know what I mean? So that's just an example. And, you know, I have different examples. Like, oh, you know, Joe, you stopped me. Or Mata, they would call me Mata. Mata, you stopped me for committing suicide. Or you well, that's a, that's a kind of ironic, um, Mata. You stopped me from I know <laughs> kill, committing kill, kill. suicide. Okay, but uh, thankfully you did that, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And so it's about really changing what you know because you talked a lot about in you know in your um, in this amazing video for social media that you did. Oh yeah. Oh my God, it was so. Oof, it was uh, it was emotional. It was informative. It was inspiring, and um, and I remember uh, you said something to the effect of, "I know my feelings are real, but the stories attached to them may not be." And that statement did something to me, because uh, there were many moments in my life that my interpretation of an experience was totally warped uh, as a result of past trauma. Exactly. exactly. So you know, it's I, I always see it as. It's like an inquisitive toddler, right, that touches everything. And he picks up the remote control, he slams it, grabs a crayon, breaks it in half, throws it, then touches a hot oven, and then he accidentally burns himself, right? And now that toddler associates that oven with pain and continues on thinking that every oven will cause him pain, that every oven will burn him, Mm -hmm. right? So what led you to that nuanced insight of validating what you think or feel but the narrative you create in your head may not be so I would have these aha moments throughout my life especially at a young age and just I don't know what age I was definitely a teenager I think we were going to visit a family member or something I'm in the back of the whip I'm looking at the sky I'm looking at the clouds and you know how you're like oh that cloud looks like a dog or a house right right so there's this cloud in the sky, and I looked at it and I said, oh, it looks like a house. I saw the frame of a house. Then I said, no, no, it looks like a dragon. No, no, it looks like a bird. Mm-hmm. And then I would just see all these frames start popping up on the same cloud. A dog, right. a house, a lion, a bird, a cat. And I said, holy shit. Are you that, creating that's, stories? That's me. Yeah. That's not the cloud. Right. That's me. My past experiences are imposing on the present moment causing me to see a shape, right? This is based because of our fight or, fly, uh, fight or flight, safety, right? Oh, the stove is hot. I got to remember it, right? I create this pattern. But me imposing this frame based on past experiences because this is an ambiguous cloud, but my brain is trying to give it meaning. Right. And that's where the framing or the geometry of the cloud starts coming out. Oh, that's in my mind, right? The model of the cloud. And I realized, holy shit, that's not the cloud, that's me. And when I do that, I'm taking away from the cloud. I'm not letting the cloud be. I'm giving shape to the cloud. The moment I name it a house or a cat, I take away all the possibilities that it could actually be because of the use of language, because of how I'm framing the situation. And this happened when I was like 16 or 17 years old. So that was like 
oh shit, that's not the cloud. That's me. I need to be responsible for that. Right. How for I that interpretation. Uh, right. Yeah, exactly. Because because our conditioning, we the, the world is skewed. Right. You know, and most of us don't know it. You know, you have our objective faculties and our subjective faculties. Right. You have the objective, like we're taking data in from our senses, but then the subjective is giving it the hue, the color, the feeling, the the meaning of it, as opposed to like. Wait, that's not there. Right. That's me. That's me. You know how like they say, oh, you know, when someone's talking to you, that's them, or right. you know, a lot of times it's it's you. You it's have to you. take responsibility. Yeah. You have to take right. responsibility. This is not how something you, respond to you know. It. A lot of people just claim, oh, genetic predisposition, mm-hmm. or uh, you know who I am already. This is who I am, and it's like no, this is a story that you tell yourself. Mm-hmm. This is, and sometimes you use that so that you don't hold yourself accountable. You're not that mm-hmm. one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this is why we have to self-study, right? It's a, Marcus really said the soul is dyed by the color of its thoughts. Mm. So that's how I, I like to think about it. Yeah. and uh, So you need the self-study to recognize this feedback loop that's going on within you. You know, uh, Anais Lin, uh, that's her name? She said, uh, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Mm. I need to see things as they are. Right. Give me the raw data. And well, let me make sure that I'm, I'm interpreting this correctly in a way that it's a win-win for everybody. Right. And that forces you to be more of a realist than an idealist. Mm-hmm. Right? Which um, I think carries less of a burden, if you will, because when you're an idealist, you're working towards you're working towards a goal that doesn't exist. and But in working towards that goal, you're going to encounter, you're probably going to encounter more losses than if you just accepted uh, the environment, the situation as is. Um, and, and that's an interesting distinction between the idealist and the realist. Uh, and I think you have to, especially in my, in, in my line of work, where I do want to uh, be that vibration that helps other cells vibrate so that eventually the vibrations uh, rises to the point where there is uh, incremental change happening and that we can actually see, we can see the world that we want to achieve uh, a step at a time. And that gives me some solace in knowing that we're taking steps towards that. However, it's very important for me to have perspective because I cannot be a fanatic of a certain ideal because that takes me away from the soil. That keeps me ungrounded mm-hmm. because I also have to understand the world that we live in today. You know, um, so, and I only got there through examining myself and examining how I work most effectively, you know, overall. You know, how I can work really hard at a specific thing when understanding that there is no guarantee that this is going to happen, um, but also understand that it may not happen, and that's just the way life works. Life sometimes doesn't happen uh, the way you, you want it to turn out to be, you know? So, um, and how do you deal with that? <laughs> yeah, and how do you deal with that? And again, that comes with, like, understanding... Um, 
the universe. It, it comes from understanding that whenever you turn something, whenever you term something as good, there's evil, and they coexist, and they have to coexist. Um, but going back to this self-study, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. Plato says in the mm-hmm. Apology, right? So you always have to keep, and I and I agree. Like, if I was to live every day without examining myself, my motives, how can I be, how can I become a better person? How can I attach meaning to my life? And what is that meaning? Defining that meaning for myself. You know, and I feel that in order for me to get to that place or pursue that journey, I have to come face to face with the truth. The truth is the truth. The truth is what is before you. You know, the truth is what is actually happening if you didn't attach any social implications or social pressures to your thought patterns. You know, Cornel West, uh, the writer and professor, once said, he asked, what happens when you begin to question your tacit assumptions and inarticulate presuppositions and begin to then become a different type of person? Actually... I have a little story that uh, is along that vein. Same thing, I was in high school, right? Uh, I'd wake up in the morning and, you know, maybe get ready for high school, maybe go to sleep, right? We didn't have cable. One day, we got cable, a.k.a. I got a cable box on top of my TV, which shows the time. So I said, you know what? I'm going to wake up in the morning. I look at the time. Maybe I have more time to go to sleep or I got to get up right now and go to work. I consciously made that decision. That's what I told myself. So I'd wake up, look at time. I got time. Nope. No, I don't got time. Go to, go to school. Get ready, for, go, get ready to go to school. I consciously chose that. And then what I would do is I would repeat it. Right? I would do it every morning. Guess what happened? After some time, shit happened. We don't have cable no more. I don't have a cable box on the top of the TV. But what would I do? I would wake up and look at the top of the TV. I would consciously, I consciously knew I had no, I don't have a cable box anymore. But I would find myself waking up and looking at the TV and I say, holy shit. What I thought I was consciously doing was a decision from the past that that became autopilot. Mm. Now I'm waking up, looking at TV, at the top of TV, wasting my time. How many other actions do I think I'm consciously doing when in fact it was a decision of the past? It's on autopilot. How many things no longer serve me? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times we think we're there, but we're not there. No. It's just something you've just been doing for a long time. It's a lifetime journey. It's about. a lifetime journey. Because because even though you're unlearning certain things, you're also learning other things. Mm-hmm. And you have to unpack that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what is the most recent thing that you had to unlearn? Ooh, that's a good question to think about that the most thing I mean I'm constantly reevaluating myself right making sure that the things I do are still serving me right you know and that uh, personally for me it might it could be my diet it could be my sleep pattern it could be the people that I'm around right like is this relationship still serving me it served me five years ago but is this relationship serving me now so mm-hmm. it's something that I constantly do because I'm very specific of who I put myself around because to uh, the people I put around you have to 
follow these two rules. One, I can learn from you. And two, I can learn with you. If I can't learn from you or I can't learn with you, I don't fuck with you. You know what I'm saying? Not that I'm not there to help anybody, but this has to be an even exchange of energy. I'm serving you, and you're serving Celestine me. Prophecy. Whole Have you ever read Celestine Prophecy? I've heard about it. i never heard about Celestine it. Celestine Prophecy is about energy and making sure uh, that you're aligning yourself with other people that reciprocate um, the energy. And now there may be situations where you, you can be giving more energy than that person because that person cannot give you energy. But as long as it's not a pattern and you're constantly depleting yourself of your energy for this person's survival. Mm -hmm. And that's fractals. Fractals, one of the tenets of fractals is things have to be self-similar. There's something that has to be common that's repeated. Going back to the math. So that's an example of self-similarity. I was going to say something else. I just can't remember. I interrupted (laughs) that thought. No, it's okay. But, uh, but yeah, that's an example of, of so similar. We have to mirror each other in terms of that. And that's how we grow. And that's the example of what it even exchange. A lot of people don't know that comes from mathematics. Like when they tell you, Yo, Charlie, you got to do the right thing. You're a, ups, a right, uh, you know, do the right thing. Where does that come from? That comes from right angles. When you have two lines that are perpendicular, they create right angles. All the angles are equal. So when you tell someone do the right thing, you're implying that all the angles are equal, aka there's an equal amount of energy being ex- exchanged. We are. This is a win-win, not right. I it's win more. It's a fair exchange. It's a fair it's exchange. It's a fair exchange of energy. And this is a mathematical principle, right. but we're actuating it, actualizing it through, through our, you know, through talking and through right. being each other's friends and things like that. Right. Do you think going back to self-interrogation? Do you think everyone is equipped to handle this self-interrogation? You need to create the space for it, but at the end of the day, it's mandatory for everybody because it's not meant to be comfortable. It is not meant to be comfortable. And it could be lonely. It's, it could be really lonely. It could be lonely. It could be really lonely, 100%. Especially I've, been, I've been in situations where I've, you know, I've gotten deep in certain situ- you know, relationships and uh, the other person was like, what's going on? Oh, trust me. I, I'm I like, feel you. And I'm like, I'm trying to understand my purpose of being here. And I I understand that this may be heavy, um, but I think there is, this this is going to change the way I move. And I'm going to move intentionally as a result of this self-interrogation. People are afraid of accountability. That's what it is. You know, when you're doing that, you become accountable for how you maneuver in the world. And it also... And it also questions whether they're being accountable for their own thoughts. Because mm-hmm. now they look at you and they start to ask, well, maybe I can develop that self-interrogation, but am I ready? Am I ready to do that? Am I ready to ask myself those questions, shed light in those dark places in my mind that exist? You know, do you want to take that risk? There may be a monster in one of those dark places. Mm-hmm a trauma that you conveniently or unknowingly forgot about. Do you want to wake up that monster? You know, and a lot of people live their lives not wanting to open that door and see what's in that dark space. We have to. You know, the body is a history lesson and a fortune teller. What do you choose to repeat? 
one of my favorite quotes, I can't remember the uh, philosopher's name, he said, if you want to know your past life, look at your current condition. Mm. If you want to know your future life, look at your current action. Nobody wants to ask themselves, why? Why do I do the things I do? Why am I the way I am? You know, they just like, yo, I'm just going to do what I do. And you Everybody's know, doing it. Everybody's yeah. doing it. You I know, that's chasing pleasure. Life. Chasing pleasure. Yeah. I'm you know, and I fell victim to that many good. times. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm going to do this. Some of us went to college good. because of that. This is what people are doing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, this now, is, that's why I said in the beginning, are your thoughts your own? Right. You know, oh, well, for what's sure. your definition there of was, success? There were so many things, you know, what would put me, yeah, my definition of success was definitely warped by what I saw around me. You know, I grew up in a very uh, consumer culture. You know, I grew up in money-making Harlem, <laughs> you know, and, um, and, 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 you know, and understanding that Harlem, so it was just about consuming. You had to produce to consume, though. So being broke was frowned upon. And um, there was so much pressure, um, I felt, as a young male, to, to be wearing the new sneakers, to be fly. At a very early age, your sense of self was was highly influenced by external factors. Mm-hmm. You know, then you grow up, and then it becomes what car you drive. Um, no one taught you how to be. No, Nobody. no one. No one. Uh, there was no conversation about like what is it that you want to do, what is it that makes you happy. You know, and again, it was also my fault because that was the universe that I created for myself. I didn't. I didn't. I felt that way, but I didn't go out searching for people that. Or I didn't even need to search for people. I should have made the decision on my own. But as a young man, you succumb to the pressure. You know, you you succumb to the influences of your environment, sometimes of your own family, sometimes of the person that you're romantic with, you know, and their Mm -hmm. interpretation of what a man is supposed to be Mm -hmm. and and how you're supposed to show up in that relationship. Exactly. You know, we don't want stress. We we, we go where the pleasure is. You go where the pleasure is. You know what? Being like this is much more comfortable then exploring the inner landscape. Right. And that's what happens. People are chasing pleasure, but this pleasure is temporary. It's transitory. It doesn't last forever. As you can see, as you can see, like, what happened in the last couple of months, a lot of people lost a lot. A lot of people lost a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. um, it's very telling how far we went away from ourselves. You know, yeah, going going back, going back to that, you know, like, it it didn't stop there. You know, then it became... You know, what property are you purchasing? Um, what spots you can get into? Um, where where do you go on vacation? Uh, what school your children goes to? Who's in your network? What's your net worth? You know, um, you know I don't know. I don't know. And, and it can stop you from achieving your potential. But maybe not. Because, you know, you define what your potential is. You define if that's your universe or not. Um, whether, I just think people focus on... They think they focus on things that they think is forever when it's fact it's it's finite and temporary. You know, they right. they, they, they have it backwards. Right. Like focus on what's what's really forever. Right. Is this car forever? Is my the shape of my body forever? What never changes? That's what you should be working on and uh, developing awareness. You know, it, it boggles my mind how people could drop four thousand dollars to go on a trip to into DR, get twisted, live their life. And hey, you know what? If that changed your life and you come back a better person, yo, it's definitely right. worth the money. But a lot of times, you know, it's an escape. They come back, oh, I'm back to work. 
I'm back to the life that I was living before. Oh, I can't wait to the next vac- vacation. You could drop four Gs on a week, but you won't f- drop four Gs to work one-on-one with a yoga teacher for a few months right. to, to teach you how to deal with where you are, well, not escaping, well, but actually dealing with the present moment. Well, you know, um, I think... Values are skewed. Uh, a few years ago, I was, you know, there was one year I traveled like maybe 15 times in one year to different destinations. And, and that didn't do anything for my sanity. And the reason, the story that I was telling me, the story that I was telling myself was that I'm doing this for my sanity. My job is, high, is very consuming. I'm mm-hmm. dealing with a lot of heavy stuff. I deserve this. You know, I'm young. Mm-hmm. I went to school. Um, so then you start telling yourself that this is what someone in your position should do. So you ride along with it. But what I was looking for I found in a therapy session that was a, a fraction of what the expenses were in all that traveling. Mm-hmm. You know, because that person sat down with me and made me analyze myself, reflect what I needed to change. You know, what circumstances did I need to change in order to feel comfortable, in order to feel happier, in order to feel that I was living my purpose? in order to feel that I was acting in the best version of myself, that I was a good son, that I was a good boyfriend if I was a boyfriend at the time or if I was dating someone, you know, with my friends, you know, setting boundaries, you know. I didn't find that out through all that spending, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but, you know, the circumstances, the environment has a way of messing with you. Um, social validation social validation I remember you know and again this is a clear example I graduated from law school you know I'm I'm doing my thing in courts in the courts Um, I'm helping my clients I go back to the neighborhood and it's like oh hey what's up like you practice law you know and the conversation isn't you know and I wasn't looking for that validation but I was looking for like Yo, bro, like, I can't believe you made it out of this and you become an attorney, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can, how, how can you, how, what can you tell me so that I can, you know, rise above? You know, that's what I was looking for. I'm like, yo, bro, like, I'm kind of doing my thing. Like, you might want to fuck with me. You might want to talk to me so that I can talk to you. I got a whole bunch of books that I would want you to read. You know, I can, I can show you how to move in this space or in that space. But no one was approaching me, bro. You know, I mean, my boys were approaching me and, you know, and I was well liked on, the, you know, because I used to play basketball for and for many reasons. Right. But like nobody was approaching me on this tip as like, yo, I'm trying to to to, to rise above my circumstances the way that you did. Like that real substantial conversation, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it wasn't only until uh, again. And I did this because I felt that. A person in my position should have right, and even now, like I, I'm, I'm still living with certain choices that I've that I've done, probably not due to my own choosing, but because I feel like I deserve it, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm still dealing with that, and I'm grappling with that. But you go back to the neighborhood, and this time around, you're driving something nice, mm-hmm. you know, no top, and you're cruising, and these cats on the on the block. They see you, and they're like, oh, shit, Charlie's doing it. 
He wasn't doing it because I've seen him, you know, uh, in a suit. He wasn't doing it because he told me that he was an attorney. He wasn't doing it because he was telling me about all these different ways that I can improve myself. He's doing it because he's driving a drop top, you know? And again, so that not only tells me about themselves, but it also tells me about myself and how I react to my environment. You know, um, my point is this. My point is, they weren't the only ones that felt that me driving around in a drop top defined success. I also felt that. And I had to question myself as to why Mm -hmm. it took that car or it took those vacations, or it took those clothes, or it took those chains, or it took those dinners for me to prove to myself that I was successful, you know? So, yeah, it's, you know... It's kind of like, you know, people do yoga and they're like, oh, I do yoga because... I want to do yoga because I see Joe doing a handstand or he's flexible. Like, that's not why I do yoga. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Though. That's yeah. a, it is. <laughs> Thanks. But it's, it's a byproduct, but that's not why I do yoga, right? You didn't do law to get the whip you, right. or, you know, to floss. Like, it's just a byproduct. You have the opportunity to do that. And at that time, it made you feel good. You know, people are focusing on the wrong things. And that's what keeps them in the same place. They're focusing on things that are transitory, things that will die, things that exist in space and time. Right. You know? Perseverance, things that are intangible, things that exist outside of space and time is what truly brings us to peace or sustains happiness, at least for a very long time. Right. You know? So people are just looking at the wrong thing. Because it's easy to look at something that has form and shape. It's harder to conceptualize something that cannot be held in your hand and integrate that. Right. And that's that's the problem that people have. You know? Yeah, they see with their eyes, and you know they you know they just use these these uh, the uh, objective faculties. They use their senses to try to dictate what success is. Because I can see it, I can smell it, I can taste it. No, no, no. It comes down to embodiment. Embodiment is the fucking secret. That's what it really is. It's not the shape or form. It's the essence of what's going on. And that's the problem that, you know, I have. We, we all have. And we all have to work on in order to see what really creates... What, what is our identity and what, what's really long-lasting? What's really going to serve me? Right. And if it and really serves happy, me, right. it's going to serve everybody. Right, because you're going to be your best version. Mm-hmm. Because you're be happy, your you're doing what, what you want to do. You know, and, and sometimes... Uh, but, you know, people are taught that, like, oh, a nice whip. It's, oh, mean, man, he looks, yeah. he looks fly. Oh, he's made it, right. Pleasure. It right. feels good. People are chasing pleasure. They're not chasing growth. They're chasing pleasure. And that's the, that's the issue. I'm going to do what feels good. Me being with this girl feels good. Me copying this whip feels good. Me copying these kicks feels good for right now. But those kicks are going to get old. That whip is going to get old. Like now you're now this this whole chasing something that is infinite as well because right. everything is infinite at some scale. So it, it could be a never-ending journey, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. You could be spiraling up or you could be spiraling down. Right. And this is and this is like very um 
much spoken about in the illusion of Maya, mm-hmm. right? And, and and what is it, especially during um, this pandemic, I think it's important to break down this illusion, in which we've been already talking about, right? Mm-hmm. But this all-pervading life principle that um, all life in the universe is a manifestation, right? That you manifest your world, mm-hmm. right? Am I... Am I, is that correct? Am I? 100%. 100%. We all have the same father and mother, which is the void, right? The darkness, if you will. I'm just using the word darkness just to conceptualize it, even though darkness and light live in a dualistic nature. But beyond the duality is this oneness or this one thing. And when we get attached to form... That's the illusion of Maya. To you know, we get attached to. We think this is solid, but it's not solid. Right. That's the illusion of Maya. You know, a quick example like, oh, Joe's a yoga teacher. Like, I am to you. Right. But to someone else, like you're a lawyer. To someone else, you're a stranger. To someone else, you're a cousin. To someone else, you're a son. Which title really represents you? Mm. None of them. Those are all slithers of you based on your perspective, on the vantage point of me experiencing you. Right. But at the end of the day, we scientifically know that the world that I see is a model of the true world, right? We, we think that our relative truth is the absolute truth, right. and that's where the Maya comes in. I think what I see, feel, hear, uh, you know, whatever I get through my senses, that's reality. No, that's my perception is an approximation when i'm experiencing you right now my brain creates a model of what charlie is for me to be able to communicate to you right right my senses that my body has are limited they're limited i can't hear everything i can't see an infrared so i i developed this approximation just for us to have for us to communicate through use of language through use of symbols right so that's where the Maya comes in. You have to realize that this is just a model, but I can experience the absolute truth through embodiment, through feeling. And this feeling is not cannot be contained with words. Right. It can only be activated or materialized through embodiment or experience. And that's where the Maya comes in because we get attached to it. And it has to do with like our reptilian brain because... We see patterns and we keep it safe. Just like when you were talking about the kid, you know, touches the stove. Okay, anything that's red or on there that looks like this, it may trigger me to, you know, fight or flight response. Like, yo, don't touch that shit. Be, uh, you know, and and that gets conditioned in us. That's the mind, this illusion that, first of all, that the form is all there is when Mm -hmm. there's an essence to something. And the fact that that form is never changing when in fact it is i mean think about it your memory changes right the way you remember uh, let's say a breakup when it happened the day after it happened is different the way you remember the breakup now right you know but you talk me- to two person you know you talk to the same person those two different times you it would be like you're talking to two, di- two different persons mm-hmm. two different people right mm-hmm. but a lot of people don't realize that and then they get stuck with this ego. The ego is not a bad thing. I mean, we have to live in this world. We have to keep ourselves safe. But we are, we have to understand that there's something greater outside of our conscious reach. And we right. also have to be aware that what we are aware of 
and what we're paying attention to are not necessarily the same thing. A lot of times we're paying attention to things that we're not consciously aware of, right? right? That's why you're, this is how you're, you, we get our memories. Like, it, how, you, how you recite your memory about your past tells you what you were really paying attention to at that time. Right. Even though you might have not been aware of what you were actually paying attention to. Right. Um, so this whole idea of Maya, Maya or this illusion that things are separate when we come from the same place. You know, just like you were saying, like, you want people to come to you and, you know, talk to you and say, yo, let me, let me show you, share these books, let me show you how I did it. Uh, this idea that, of loneliness, that I can't share myself, but we all share sadness. We all share happiness. We all experience those things. But when I experience it, when something bad shit happens to me, why does it feel like it only happens to me? I start looking at people, oh, this nigga's successful, this person's successful, but... Uh, they don't feel they're not sad like I am. They're not miserable like I am. No, they 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 experience that just in a different time and different space. Right. But they experience these are all shared so experiences. It, it, it sounds it sounds that you encourage you encourage all of us and yourself and others to uh to look at things from a very holistic level. Hundred percent. You have to look at the microcosm and the macrocosm at the same time because we're always playing in these worlds. Like, I don't believe that when we die, we go to heaven. We're constantly going back and forth between, identi being be between identity and selflessness. Mm. We're constantly going back. So it's like, it's a fractal. <laughs> like, think of, um, you seen those Russian dolls? That like, you have a Russian doll, you open it and there's a smaller version. I haven't. So it's like you have a Russian doll, and then if you open the top or you take off the head, it's the same exact Russian doll, but a, the same one at a smaller scale. You open that one, you find the smaller version of the same thing. You open that one, mm. you find the smaller version of the same thing. The same thing happens with our consciousness the opposite way, right? Once we, this is our mind, and then when we become aware of it, that mind that was previous before is a subset of what our consciousness is right now. But we're constantly building up that awareness, that circle, and that's an infinite never-ending so, journey. let me ask you this. But, so how do we encourage one another to start thinking that way? I mean, some of us are along that path further than others, right? But how can we get the community to start thinking on that level? Does it, is it harder because many of us are living um, very survivalist? Uh, it's definitely hard, but... The best is that you have to be by example, right? You cannot impose things. These have to be voluntary. When you join the frat, you have to ask the frat to join. You have to say, listen, I'm interested. So if you're an example in your community, that's all you have to do. You don't have to sell it to anybody. Right. When they're ready to put in the work, they're going to ask you, yo, fam, what books you read to get you there? Right. And then you could drop that knowledge. But if you're imposing that's a double-edged sword, right? Right, right? Because now you're imposing your beliefs, your 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 vantage point on someone else, like which is can can be interpreted as be like me. No, I'm not. I don't want you to be like you. I want you to be you. I'm gonna just create the space. How to create the space? I'm gonna just be my best self, and you're gonna witness it. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna tell you how to think. You're gonna see how I move in the world, and hopefully that triggers something. Event is gonna trigger something, right. and if it triggers you asking a question. So 
consent has to be necessary for a person to be initiated into the mysteries of life. And that consent can only be done voluntarily. So I, I you know, when I, I don't, I, you, 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 you see me on IG, you see me promote yoga classes? Right. Never. You want to hit, you want to, you want to do yoga? When you're ready, you let me know. And that's it. The consent has to be there. I guess I struggle with that because I, you know, I champion the potential in people. And um, when I don't see people reaching their potential, it drives me nuts. Oh, 100% me too. It drives me nuts, you know? And um, so I'm dealing with that. They said you don't want to be, you know, you have society shouting at them and then you have other people shouting at them. Like, no, I'm going to have this space. Well, that's why I try to meet them where they're at. I try to meet them where they're at. Um, You know, someone met me where I was at to get me to go to college. Like, uh, you know, when someone saw the potential in me, but he couldn't talk to me about my potential. He saw, he saw what I was interested in at the time, and I was in high school, you know. I went to Carlton Hayes, you went to Carlton Spellman, right? Yep. Okay. Um, and, you know, he saw that I was approaching my junior or senior year. So he tells me, or he asks me, Bro, are you trying to go to college? And at the time, I was working at a pharmacy. You know, I was able to afford the nice little Avarex, you know. Had a, Avarex. Had a girlfriend, you know. I had a little bit of cash in my pocket to, to go on dates on the weekend. You know, I wasn't thinking too much about school, about going away. And, um, you know, he told me. He was like, bro, imagine. And we were, in, we were standing in the middle of my block, right? And on this, on this Harlem block, there's nothing but buildings around us. Mm-hmm. And he tells me, imagine if this was college. And imagine if in each of these apartments, there were people your age or a little older. And I was like, wow, that's a, that seems like a lot of fun to me, I told him. Lots of parties. I could get down with that. That's cool. <laughs> he was like, yeah. Imagine if the female-to-male ratio was five to one. I was like, oof, it's a lot of women. In I'm college. in there. I'm in there. And he was like, yeah, and imagine if some of these guys weren't even straight. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? Bro, he got me to apply for, uh, well, I didn't take SAT prep, but he got me to take um, this idea of going away serious. And you know what? He did what he had to do because once I got to college and once my foot was in the door, the reasons for me to go there became irrelevant because once I got there, that opened my world to, uh, to, to people that were dedicated to their studies, classes that opened my mind, um, you know, majors that I wanted to pursue, a whole different element of, of, of life opened up for me at college. But he met me where I was at. So I try to do that in wanting to champion people's potential and in, in wanting to motivate them. I try to, like, you know, be smooth with it. You know, I'm not out here be like, yo, my man, what's up? Yo, read this book. I think you need it. I, I try to engage them, and I kind of see what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. And I try to, like, nurture that interest. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean... Yeah, what he did was amazing, you know. He all he did was he created this scenario, 
and then he asks you questions. Right. And then you, with you hearing yourself, you became intrinsically motivated. Like, okay, in this case, you were intrinsically motiv- motivated by the girl ratio, but you know what? He had to meet you where you are because right. that's, you know, you're a high school kid. You know what I'm saying? It right. makes sense. Right. But if that's what it is. We have to create that space and, you know, let people answer for themselves because once you hear yourself, just like when you go to therapy, you know, if you want to deal with some trauma, you have to put it in language. It cannot be an ambiguous thing because when you put it in language, it becomes encapsulated and then you can have some type of control and then dictate the direction of that monster or trauma. Mm. And this is the same thing in this case. You know, he asks you a question and then, boom, it just got you thinking more questions. Oh, shit, oh, shit, boom, boom, boom. And then, boom, now you're in college and now you're around other people that are supporting... uh, healthy lifestyle or healthy habits and you're just taking it in right 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 do you go to therapy oh no okay have you ever gone to therapy no okay well you do enough meditation to to ask yourself the questions that a therapist would ask Yeah, yeah 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 so what do you think stops people from reaching their potential is it is it their their ability to ask or to search for uh the answers that that's what it seems to me, based on what you said thus far, that, you know, you know, people are just not asking the questions. People are not... People People are taught to give up. Mm-hmm. You know, what's your definition of, of success? Like I said, we're, we're taught to do, do, do. We're not taught how to be, right? And that's the issue. So you're taught, like, this is what it means to fail. I'm a, I'm a failure. I accept it, and I'm going to live this life. I'm, I'm from this geolocation, from this background. This is what happens to people like us. And they accept the reality as it is, hmm. you know. At the same time, they may not have examples readily available for them, you know. Okay. They see success maybe on TV, but they don't have someone they can actually have a conversation and community with, you know. We can live for some time without food we can live some time without water we can live for a very very short time without uh breath right and we could live like survive with food and water and breath but in order to thrive we need community right we need a support system and if you don't have that support system you might just be fucked so this is why we have to be an example because being an example already creates support. It creates a light. It creates a glimpse into an alternate reality they may have never seen or experienced face-to-face. They might have seen on TV, like, oh, this person made it out the hood or whatever, but they never actually had a conversation with someone that is successful in their eyes and values their opinion. Mm. Once you give a person the opportunity, like, oh, shit, this person's successful. Charlie's successful. And he's listening to me. Why is he listening to me? Oh, shit. He's, he's looking at me in my eyes. Right. He cares. And that's how you plant the seed. And always the seed is literally just awareness. Like, yo, he's in my circle. He's on my block. I can reach it. It's, mm-hmm. it's touchable. It became tangible. Right. But when people don't have a support system, that's when it gets really hard. And then the loneliness is like a, like a self-fulfilling process. Prophecy, it just goes down and down, down the rabbit hole of, of stress and anxiety. You know, and that's why I think, you know, when it comes to stress and anxiety, I, th- I think we're, like, as humans, we're built to overcome adversity, you know? And um, which is why it's important 
that you do not only meditation, but meditation that's functional, right? You incorporate the body in your meditation. Mm-hmm. And uh, you do that through yoga, right? Yeah, yeah. I see a lot of people, you know, they either move a lot and they don't meditate or they meditate a lot, but they don't move. Mm-hmm. You have, you should be doing both, you know, because these are the tools that you have. Your body, your breath is going to really dictate your mental state and your mental ability to deal with the consequences of your decisions. Right. You know, so when you bring that, those two together, then you can really change. Like, how can I, I can't master the world if I can't master my own body. Right, that's I what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I use, when I teach yoga, I use it as a way to work on this. For example, like, oh my God, we're in Warrior One. Joe Goddard's in Warrior One. My thigh is on fire. I'm dealing with my, my thighs on fire. What happens when I'm when I'm doing that? My thighs on fire. I forget that I have a foot. I forget that I have a hand. I forget that I'm a good person. Right. The stress just consumes us. Right. But we have the ability to use that position that I put myself in the yoga class, right? right. I created the stress. I right. put myself here. That's number one, the self-awareness that I created this moment, right? And the fact that let me bring this awareness to my whole body and and the situational situational awareness, the whole environment, and see, this is just a piece, but this is not everything. I might have had a bad day, but I don't have a bad life. So with movement, we could work on our mental strength Mm. through these postures. We can learn how to deal with stress, how to build resiliency. Of course, yoga uh, builds resiliency of the nervous system, but our mental resiliency as well. Like now I'm learning how to deal with stress. Like, oh shit, I'm tight because somebody said fuck you, but it's not changing my breathing pattern. Right. right, right. Because that's what happens when we get stressed. It starts consuming us. It's in my mind. It's changing my pattern. Now yeah. I don't want to eat. Now yeah. I don't feel well. Now I'm uh, responding to people differently because of my anger, even though they had nothing to do with it. It starts bleeding into all aspects of your your experience and we don't want that you have to be able to see that and put it where it belongs and see the bigger picture and know that it's temporary because maybe 10 minutes ago you were happy and right now you're not as happy it's okay it goes up and down we're always playing between these worlds right but we know we need to know how to ride that way right i guess you know you practice dealing with discomfort staying in the present moment Learning how to be more mobile. Mm-hmm. It's like um, we're washing the mirror to see. Walls become yourself. doorways to new experiences. Like you're like, what you think was impossible for your body becomes possible. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, when I initially did a yoga class, I would think of so many reasons why I didn't want to be there. Right? <laughs> uh, most of them were big room, by the way. Um, is that vain that I've only done big room? No, not at all. I've okay. done big room. Okay. Uh, you know, because I feel like I haven't mastered the art of yoga. Because I've always focused more on losing weight than building patience and habits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Bikram kind of did that for me. But, um, but anyway, but I'm getting better. And, um, and going back to, to what you were saying before, I believe in the human reward system. And um, doing difficult things to remind you that you can push yourself. Um, so, because life is hard and you have to push yourself through this life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you come out appreciating uh, yourself uh, for investing in yourself and um, I really do think that this idea that life is supposed to be easy is bullshit of 
porous. Yeah. Challenge give us, gives us the, the opportunity to grow, plain yeah. and simple. The way you feel after overcoming a yoga class, overcoming, mm-hmm. not taking, <laughs> overcoming a yoga class, um, there's very few feelings that, that can match that. Um, because you went through it, but you went through it with focus while remaining calm in adversity. And imagine if you applied that to Off everything else in your life. Where would you be? Exactly. So if you could use your movement and meditation practice as a learning environment, then you're able to transcend the mat. You'll be off the mat and apply it to everyday life and any given situation. Like, we're having this conversation, but I'm not, I don't forget about, you know, the wall next to me or what I have to do later. You know, I'm, I'm staying present, right. but I'm very aware. I'm not just what my eyes are focused on. I'm yeah. actively You're listening. using your senses. Exactly, because, you know, I could be aware of you, but... I, my subconscious is attentive to all the information that's going past my conscious mind. Right. So you want to open or you know, open the view of your awareness, the, the span, the, the width of it. And that's ultimately the key. You know, mm-hmm. how do we, you know, great, I could do some, maybe some cool moves, but there's people that are, you know, quote, unquote, better than me. But, you know, if you were trying to, look at it as competition but I don't even I don't even look at it like that I'll focus on myself this is an inner journey for me right you know whatever form or shape I make is fine but it's it's more of what's going on inside of me which you might not see or you can't see in a picture or an IG post right and you know and moving along those lines right like what's going on inside of you inside of you um, on a spiritual level mm-hmm. how how do you think karma fits into your practice? You know, so I look at karma as, you know, it's just a consequences of what you do. That's just plain and simple, and you taking ownership. I, I make this decision. I open myself to these possibilities and probabilities of right. certain things happening or not. And if they do, and they're not comfortable, I need to be held accountable because right. every experience that I'm doing is a co-creation, whether I like it or not. This right. experience is a co-creation because there is there is no separation between us. We're making this together. Your energy, the geometry of this room shapes us, right? When we go to a different place with a different geometry, we feel different. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, we have to know, understand that it's a, it's a collaboration and, and a co-creation and take ownership of that and knowing your own power. And like I said in the beginning, being responsible not being a victim and saying well this is how it is this is how this is how it's always going to be but holding yourself accountable knowing that every moment is an opportunity to begin again let me focus on my breath let me remind myself of my divinity and deal with my karma you know and sometimes karma is passed down genetically genetically you know because our body is history right from our parents, that's what, and their parents, and that connects us through our, through our family tree. That lineage, things can be passed down mm-hmm. to us, right? Like, oh, you smile like your grandfather. You may have never met your grandfather, but yet you smile like him. Right. But now your responsibility is to become aware of that, and see if certain actions or movements serve you. So the karma is about accepting it and dealing with those consequences. Right. Just keeping it above, like, yo, I did this. 
and it didn't go my way. Right. But I know I co-created it, and now I'm responsible of how I'm going to respond to it right now. It's right. not like, oh, this shit happened to me. Right. It's not necessarily like that, right? Obviously, things happen in life, yeah. but how do you respond to it? And how do you, what's your level of responsibility right. in regards to that given situation? You know, people say like, oh, you got to pay your karmic debt. Just be better. Right. Just be better than you Listen, were the day before. I because think our, our best changes every day. So right. that's not something that I would say like you're trying to measure quantitatively, but you should be doing your best, whatever that is for that day. Maybe you're feeling a little more tired. Maybe your yoga practice is in an hour and the day before was an hour. But if you did your best given your current state or current condition, then you're good. Right. Yeah, on a practical level, um, I just think that you should treat people the way you want to be treated. 100%. And if you're not, you're going to have a difficult life. 100%. And that's the world that you built for yourself, mm-hmm. right? Um, you have to lead by example. Yeah. You have to lead by example. And it's not because you lead by example, not because you're a good person, not because you've been through crazy shit that has humbled you, not because you have a college degree. Um, it, it's because we're all you believe connected. that we're all connected. Of course. Right? And that's how you fit in this world. Mm-hmm. You may do something or you may say something that you're just, you know, you're saying some shit and you don't know how much it can affect the person that's witnessing it. Right. We are all selves and you always have to be asking yourself, are we isolating ourselves and in turn contributing to the division in this world? You know, or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are we vibrating higher? It's not only vibrating with like minded people as if you're inside of an echo chamber. Right. It's like, are you speaking truly connecting to people's humanity yeah we're we're part of a bigger family you know like i i don't live on this earth i am of this earth mm-hmm. i am of this universe i'm a cell of this earth i don't you know i don't live like but we complicate it we, we complicate it i saw know? it on ig the other day somebody's caption said as humans we overanalyze and we overcomplicate." Mm-hmm. and in doing that in complicating we create sides we create, well, no, they believe in this, therefore, they're no good. This is the good side. And, you know, it's so short-sighted. Yes. Uh, paralysis by analysis. Mm. Well, now you're stuck. By analysis. Now like you're stuck. Like, sometimes the problem is thought. Maybe most of the time the problem is thought. Right. You know, they say, oh, I think, therefore I am. It's true. But when... What about when you don't think? There's right. parts of you that don't have to deal with thought. They're just, just reoccurring. Yeah. These governing dynamics of the universe yeah. has no thought, right? We, when we start having these thoughts, we need a subject and an object. Now we're into this dualistic reality. What's being observed and the observer. But we know through science that they're, they're intimately connected. You know, my perception is dictating how something else moves about in the world. Mm. That's plain and simple. And you have to take ownership for that. How do you think the nation is dealing with that now under this current political climate? Just to take you elsewhere. Some people, you know, are just looking for someone to blame. Right. You know, because... And investing a lot of energy in that. Mm Mm-hmm. Point, point, point. 
he did this, she did that. You know, focus on what you need to do. Right. You know, focus on your circle, your family, your people, yourself first, the center of the circle. It's like we're a circle and different um, different concentric circles, like different size circles with the same center. Focus on yourself, and it's going to end up rippling out. But people are so concerned about this outer, re- outer reality, and they think that meaning exists outside of them. Mm. And that's the issue. Like, no, my dude, we're meaning generators. You are the thingness of things. You got to bring it back. Own that. And then you're going to start to see things and experience things a little differently, a little more holistically. Mm. But, you know, when we blame something else, we're not responsible for it. He did this to me. She made me feel this way. Right. I'm not working because of this. You know. Exactly. But at the end of the day, what are you going to do about it? Because complaining doesn't change shit. Complaining doesn't change anything. You know, going back to challenge, like, I could complain about the challenge. Is the challenge, me complaining, going to make the challenge easier? No, it actually makes the challenge feel heavier. Heavier, right. Heavier. Like, I don't need to complain. Like, yo, you know what? This shit is hard. Me doing this pose, me taking this test, me choosing this career is difficult. Just do it. This is what comes with this lifestyle. You chose these challenges. You chose these probabilities of fucking up in this way. These possibilities of doing good in this way. You have to accept it. Just do your best. But you cannot run away from uncomfortability. And that's what people do all the time. They always try to take the easy way out. Meaning what feels easy to them. What feels comfortable. It's not all roses. That's just the bottom line. We have to learn how to deal with this wave as it goes up and down. And that's that's where the self-mastery comes in. Right. And, you know, and I want to explore that a little bit more a bit later when, when it comes to criminal justice reform, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as a person who wants to see criminal justice reform, you have to stay active. Um, and this goes back to, the, you know, what we talked about before, where you have to, like, do the dance, where... You have to stay active and contribute to this cause without losing yourself, without taking away from yourself, right? Yeah, no no more self-sacrifice. No more self-sacrifice. But going, but along those lines, right, karma also exists with the body, right? Mm -hmm. If you treat your body shitty, the body will treat you shitty, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and this is, the, you know, that would be the world that you create for yourself. Of course. People and are like, I'm always tired. I don't know. Well, no, you do know. You're not doing things that give you energy. And granted, I'm talking about fully able-bodied persons, right? Yes. I'm acknowledging my privilege as mm-hmm. someone that doesn't have a physical disability. Yes. But once you understand that and you're able-bodied, your life changes. And, you know, you once said... What you do on the mat prepares you for what you do off the mat. Mm-hmm. You know? If you go in there and you give it your all and you treat your body right, you're going to see yourself having the energy to accomplish a lot more goals outside of the gym or outside of the yoga studio. Yeah, people always ask themselves, like, uh, especially when it comes to body, why is nothing changing? It's because you're living in the past. Like, you ate a certain way at 14 years old. Your body changed and you're 38. Why do you have the same eating habits? Why are you eating the same thing? Your thoughts change, your memories change, your career has changed, your mental ability has changed. 
but your diet hasn't changed, right. that's what keeps you living in the past. And that's when you, you end up my, uh, creating some type of chronic disease, right. right? And it's because you're not recalibrating. You're not adapting. You're just doing what you know, what's comfortable, what you're used to. What you were raised on, right? What you were raised on because maybe it worked in 1985, but you have to ask yourself, does, it, does this serve me right now in 2020? So you have to look within, and especially when it comes to the body. We're doing old things, old uh, movements and actions that may have worked for us. Maybe a certain way of working out works for you when you're in your 20s. Doesn't necessarily work for you right now in your thirties or in your forties, but you have to continue you know, giving fuel to that body. Mm-hmm. You have to do that research, right? But right. you know, it's it's comfortability. Like I've been eating rice and beans all my life, so yeah. that's what I'm gonna do. It Listen, tastes that, good. And you think you think who you are is you? Nah, bro, that's your diet. Right. You, you feel lazy? Yeah. You think that's you? Change your food. Let's see if you still feel lazy. Oh, no. You know, you're supposed to have a belly when you get to a certain age. No. You just grew up watching people drink beers all the damn time. Mm-hmm. You know? You know, there was this one. Um, sometimes I, I listen or I see on YouTube uh, motivational videos uh, right before I work out. And there was this nice. one video where uh, this guy, freaking jacked, um, said that his life changed when one of his uncles died and he said that his uncle looked like him he spoke like him he ate like him right and his uncle died early in his 50s so he started to question himself and say you know what i don't want to end up like my uncle what is it that i have to do so he was like you know what he died from heart failure he had other relatives that died from heart failure so he went to the hospital and and spoke to this doctor and i guess he you know, he made it a point to say that he spoke to a really good doctor um, because this really good doctor gave him some really good advice. Mm-hmm. And what this doctor told him was after doing a scan or an X-ray of his heart, I'm mm-hmm. not sure what the correct you know, terminology is or procedure um, in, assessing, in assessing one's heart. But the doctor sat down with him and said, you just got married, right? And he was like, yeah. And she's pregnant, right? And he was like, yeah. And she's having what? And he was like, oh, she's, ha- um, she's having a girl. And the doctor said, okay, she's having a girl. If you keep doing what you're doing right now, there would be another man walking her down that aisle when she gets married. It's up to you. What I see in that heart is the heart of a 65, 70-year-old man. And he was like, fog so since then he has been taking care of himself of his body because he refuses to allow anyone else to walk down his daughter down that aisle you know so generational curses Mm -hmm. you know stepping outside of what you've been trained to think to do for the sake of betterment, you know, for the sake of being there for your family, for the sake of being there for yourself. You know, you should give yourself a shot to live a long life. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Are you so imprisoned? Are you so shackled by culture, by what your family taught you that you can't step outside of that for your own well-being? You know, 
So, yeah, and that's and that's what I think that the bar, that the body, there's so much karma in the way you also treat your body. My father passed away from lung cancer, and he was smoking cigarettes since the age of 17, 18, packs of cigarettes. And he died early in his 60s. And you know what? If I was to get married, he's not going to be there. You know, same thing goes for my sister. You know, he wasn't able to see his grandchildren. You know, again, you have to see your body and you have to, like, you have to see it as an opportunity to change. An opportunity to change. We, re- we only keep what we repeat. Repeat, repetition is the echo of infinity. Right. You know, so do you want to repeat that trauma that has been passed down to you? Do you want to echo the life of your father or somebody in your family or somebody in your community? Community, What are you choosing to repeat? Because whatever you're repeating is going to be ingrained in your body and in your subconscious. Right. right? We take this uh, data from the outer world, uh, from our thoughts, well, we don't, we're, we're not constantly aware of, we might take in subconsciously as well, as well, but anything that we're repeating, we're massaging into our body, mm. right? The way we move in the world, we don't think, we're just moving, it's being, it's being act- activated in this 3D world, and it's because we repeat it, and when we repeat it, it's like we're putting a tattoo on our body or a tattoo on our given eye identity. So you have to really ask yourself, what am I repeating? What is this feeding? It's the, I don't know if you've seen a snake eating its own tail, the or- Ouroboros. We feed ourselves. Everything, in essence, is a fractal feedback loop. It's a fractal feedback loop. So we're feeding ourselves with our past selves, with our actions. So we really have to be accountable. At the end of the day, we are our teacher. We are our own God. How do I want to live? I want to live forever. Or I want to be a good person. You have to feed yourself that. Because uh, I don't remember the person who said it, but we build tools and those tools build us back. Right. That is the feedback loop. The tool can be your mind, body. The tool can be your mind. You have to build it. But whatever you build builds us back. Oh, we made fire. We made fire. Now we're cooking food. Right. Now that food is changing our, our physiology because right. now we're getting different nutrients. We made this tool. Now this tool is building us. So you have to be really careful of what you're putting your attention to and what you're building because it's a co-creation. You may not think that fire is, obviously that fire is not self-aware like you, but it is building you. Right. You know, and you know, and I think you are the creator and the creation all at the same time. Right. And we, you know, I think it would be great for everyone to come to that understanding, but they have to sift through the anger, through the anxiety, through the self-doubt. You know, there, you know, this is a, a tough process to step outside of your comfort zone, to step outside of everything that you've ever known. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is. And it reminds us that. But this right, you know, us talking right now on this podcast, sharing that reminds us that we're not alone and that we're we are starting to heal ourselves by sharing this information. And we have to share our truth. Right. These are our tools. This is a support system for anyone that's questioning their situation, for anyone that's questioning not only their situation, their circumstances and whether they're doing something that serves them or not. You know, 
This is for y'all. You know, this is for I want to see everyone happy. Of course. I want to see everyone saying like if they knew that they were going to pass away a week from now, they can say, you know what? I lived a good life. I lived a life the way on some fraction of your shit. <laughs> I lived it the way that I, you know, I lived it my way. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You that's have, what I want to see. You have to be willing to grow, and then that and sends a a ripple effect, like a an ecosystem, and then your tribe finds you, and then you start feeding each other, bouncing ideas off each other, bouncing good energy off each other, being inspired by one another, learning from one another, learning with each other, mm. and that's how we grow because you're, we're not meant to grow alone, right? The only reason the human species has survived for so long is because, yeah, we're self-aware, but we have community. We right. helped each other yeah, heal. Yeah, we're social beings. Mm-hmm. That's, how, that's, what, that's what differentiated us from all other animals. So the fact that we can socialize and form a community with 150 other people. Mm-hmm. You know, animals couldn't do that. Exactly. That's when, you, that's when civilization started, when you, when you helped someone else. Because an animal could do his own thing by himself. But I'm here to help you and you're dependent on me. Now we see the community or the unity because everything comes back to the self. Even the word unit, when we're measuring, unit means one. Mm. Universe, that you and I, that's the one. When you add three plus four, it becomes seven. It becomes one number. When you widen the awareness, you see how things are connected. Things always collapse into one thing. And that's what you have to realize, whether it's you and becoming one with your family, the bigger circle, your community, the bigger circle, your, your, your states, yeah. the, the there's world. Layers. There's layers. Yeah, there's layers. Um, you know, but we, we connect uh, through, uh, through our actions. Just like when we, we were, you know, when we pledged, what they'd say, oh, line, chapter, frat, right? Right. What connects us? Well, Obviously, the line is the most important, but why is that? Because when we, our frat is the last one, we're connected because... Your line is your pledge class, right? Yes, yeah, right. So our frat, we chose to join this frat. We're connected because we're on, we did a similar journey. Oh, the next level closer to the center, the next concentric circle that's closer to the center right. is our chapter. Oh, we took the same journey in the same space, aka the campus. Next level, our line it's closest. Why? Because we took the same journey in the same space and time. And that's what brings us together. That experience of we're learning together. We're growing together. We're being reborn together. And that support system or that unity is, takes away the loneliness. Mm. You know, this journey for anybody out here like... It's not meant to be alone, even though it could feel lonely. Life could feel super fucking lonely. You just have to communicate. Right. Say it to yourself. Reverberate in the in universe. You have that ripple effect going on, and they will find you. Your teacher will find you. Your brother will find you. Your sister will find you. Or you can just post selfies. Or you can post selfies. On Instagram. Um, and that has its own karma, right? That has its own karma, right? Because then you attract people that just mm-hmm. like you. You know, what I, what I, I you know, physical a long time in one of my meditations, so I had a meditation turn, journal and the front of it is a square in the circle, uh, the Vertubrian man. So square in the circle is like a math concept. That's an impossible concept, which means like you're trying to have a circle in a square that has the same area, but that's 
technically impossible because the transcendentalness of pi. We're not getting into the math too yeah. much. But <laughs> basically, Thank you for that. people tell you to square the circle, which means do the impossible. Be of both, of you know, feminine and, and masculine. That's what we need to do. You have to take the journey that you think you can do, but in fact, you will because the moment you, the moment you go in that direction is the moment it actually exists. And that's where the loneliness disappears, the the illusion of Maya starts to right, dissolve, right. and you know it's like oh it becomes from I to we, you know, like when you post your selfies or you post things like. That has its own consequences. Right. You know, what are you paying attention to? Why are you doing it for? Are you doing it for? What energy are you trying to get in return? Exactly. And one of the, what I got in one of the meditations one time, right in that book, it says, the only energy you attract is your own. The only energy you attract is your own. And that's why. Like attracts like. Light attracts light. Dark attracts dark. But it starts with you. Mm. Speaking about lightness, darkness, and ecosystems, right? Um, I saw that you also explored Sedona. Oh, yeah. What was your experience? I also went to Sedona, but I'm interested to know what was your experience? It was amazing. You know, obviously I went during uh, COVID, went to see some different sites. And, I mean, wherever I went. Oh, you went during COVID? You just went recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So (laughs) there wasn't a lot of people. So I'm always trying to connect to nature. Right. You know, because when I see nature, I, I see myself. I see the geometry. Uh, I see the simplicity of it, right? A rock being a rock, a tree being a tree. Right. You know, and that just felt really connected. It's just a, it's a good reminder of who we are in this world. And how, yeah, how infinitely small you are in this world. And when you get up those, when you get up to those mountains, you know, and, um, you know, you hide those natural vortexes. Of course. because you, you feel the vibrations. Yeah, you know, you're looking at something that's so grand and so big that this might be the grand, biggest thing you've ever seen. So your mind can't measure it. Right. And because of that, it puts you in a state of awe. And you're like, oh, shit, I can't measure it. I can't put it in language. But I'm experiencing something right now. And then people just describe it as a spiritual experience or a mystical experience. But that puts you in a place of like, holy shit, I'm connected here. Right. This right. shit supposedly doesn't have consciousness, but yeah, it's fucking with me. Yeah, and you know how it kind of fucked with me was, you know, my life is valuable only because of the stories we attach to my life. Mm-hmm. So if I was to trip, slip, fall, or, you know, if I was to fall off of any of those mountains, you probably wouldn't hear a peep. Mm-hmm. The ground wouldn't start to shake. The heavens wouldn't, you know, the clouds wouldn't start to rain. <laughs> you know, um, you know, no one is going to get an alert on their cell phone that this person just fell off of the mountain and passed away. You know? Down the line, you know, social media, you know, oh, I know him, he's a good dude. But at that moment, which is probably the realest moment, my life would be insignificant based on how the land 
how the universe reacts to it at the moment, you know? Um, so I don't know. So I just felt that, wow, like... Yeah, I mean, you made... I've feel- created, like, this... You know, it just really attacks the grand notion, this grand notion of who you are, you know? I know you mentioned that, you know, we're, we're gods, right? But that, I felt the total opposite of a god on one of those mountains. And it humbled me. And, but I became one with it. I became one with those rocks. Yeah. It definitely humbles me because you realize that the world is not just about you. Right. It's not about whether I ate today. It's not about whether I made it to my gym session. It's not about mm-hmm. how many likes I got on that photo. Mm-hmm. When I posted it, I posted it on prime time. <laughs> you know? It's not about, you know, it's not about nothing, man. <laughs> it's not, you know, so are again. Are you living a life worth living? Right, right. It makes you me know? question all of that. Like, are you spending your last minutes? It's, it, it just... You know, whenever you come face to face with the fragility of life, Mm -hmm. and that's why the whole Kobe Bryant incident really fucked with me. Mm -hmm. Because this is a person that pretty much you can argue had it all. Mm -hmm. Had his whole, not his whole life, but he had a really, a really good chunk of his life ahead of him. And for whatever reason, he didn't get to experience it, you know. Um, I went there. I went to Sedona. I liked it, despite the fact that I thought about what would happen if I was to fall over the mountain. But um, I did some tachyon healing. Yeah, tell um, me about that. Yeah, it was... I went into a room. They gave me rocks. And these rocks are supposed to... You know, and they come from uh, the... Uh, I think they they dig them up from the natural vortexes, right? So they, they have this vibration where everything just comes together underneath under underground yes and they dig these rocks up and if you hold them or if you have them in close proximity uh it's about feeling that vibration um so you know i did that i also did the uh so you know i would i would you know i knocked out like after 15 minutes i did wake up a lot more rejuvenated don't know if that was a placebo effect um i also did a sensory deprivation tank nice listen if I had one at the crib, I would do that every day. They're selling that right now, though, in at-home ones. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. You know, and uh, that's like meditation on steroids. Of course, of course. That's you a, about everything. That's the new version of, you know, uh, people or hermits going into the cave and they deprive themselves of their senses, right? Which basically is, I'm taking all, as much as the as all the external stimuli I'm trying to take away as much as I can because now I can only focus on the inner reality mm-hmm. my subjective experience and how that's uh, providing meaning to all the sensations that I feel and experience at that moment so a lot of times when people do those things like you can you, you know you feel weightless you don't you don't hear sound nothing so you can only go within and that's when you start realizing, oh shit, what am I really? And you know, is this is it me? Is this as things are, or this is me perceiving things? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, 
I would suggest everybody do it. I yeah, haven't sure. done the sensory de- deprivation tank myself. I've done, like, in the cave kind of thing. But it's definitely imperative for people to put themselves where they could take away the stimulus, the external stimulus, yeah. to try to focus within. Because... Our minds are like computers. Yeah, we're like too we busy. To... We're too busy, you know, outside doing, moving, this, that. Like, chill. Just right. chill. Turn right. it off. You know, that's actually a part of yoga, which is, uh, you know... Uh, separating yourself from the senses because we're kind of like feeding that and we think that's all there is this outer reality when in fact this is just um, a mirror image of what's actually inside of us mm. how was that experience did you come up with any aha moments afterwards from the sensory I just my thoughts were clearer um, I felt as if I had a second gear uh, I felt as if I wasn't easily triggered. I was automatically calm. And uh, and my body was relaxed. Because I was floating, you know. They, it's salt water and you float. So my body was relaxed. Like, I got used to just floating in the water and not doing anything. No movements. Um, yeah, I would recommend it to everyone. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a representation of a death practice. Right. You know? Yeah. Like when it is in the darkness. You do it in the darkness. Like Some a, people can't do that. Mm-hmm. Some people can't have closed, um, you know, surfaces over them. But um, look, it was a good experience. I would recommend it. I also hiked um, natural vortexes. So, um, you know, where where there was like a conversion of the surface of the, lines. Yeah, yeah. of the energy lines, and it was interesting, like seeing these trees warped. You know, like going every which way yeah. uh, because of the energy in the surface was going, you know, one was leaning left, the other one was leaning right. Um, and, and it was just like powerful to see. And again, reminding me that we are we are all energy sources. Of course, of course, yeah. of course. I mean, you know, you ever stepped in a room and... You oh, feel yeah. a little different, or yeah. you step in a room and you're making other people feel different just because of your own presence. Right. You know, and intuitively we feel like, oh man, this person is making me feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and you see the warped trees, you see the effect of something that you haven't been able to perceive with the senses, at least the physical senses, you know, but it, it has an effect. And we have to like remember that there's things that are outside of our model of our experience that it is affecting us. You know, like I always tell my students, focus on your breath. Oh, you focus on your breath, but five minutes ago, you weren't focusing on your breath. It was hidden in plain sight, but your breathing ratio is uh, affecting your heart rate variability, which is affecting your mental state. Right. And you make a lot of bad decisions when your mental state is not on point. Exactly. And so much violence. So mm -hmm. much violence happens because people don't breathe. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, now you're aware of it, now you start seeing how it affects you, and now you can dictate how you feel your feelings, and how you perceive things. It, it, comes, to the, it comes back to the awareness, the self-awareness, right? You're self-aware, and then eventually you just want to be aware, right. outside of the self, outside of the ego, outside of your conditioning, right. and the trauma that's stored in your body that's just waiting to be triggered. Speaking of triggered, right, and conditioning, and unfortunately violence, um, 
I would assume you would agree that uh, mandated yoga and meditation practices should be implemented when it comes to first responders, when it comes to people in stressful positions, uh, occupations such as police officers, right? Every other week we're hearing Mm -hmm. of a police officer not being able to manage stress the right way and making abrupt decisions that usually end up in a loss of life unnecessarily. Yeah, it's sad. No, you know, a lot of people, obviously everybody has bad feelings, but most people don't have a protocol to follow when they're in that space. I feel bad. And you know you're going to feel bad. Like, you might go on to a scene, you know you're going to see someone that may irritate you, but you, you have to go see them. Right. But what protocol do you have in place to put you where you really belong, which is in a state of ease. Right. You're in a state of effort, but at the same time experience ease. That That's the balance. And, and also, you know, to add to that, interrogate what are the stories and, you know, what are the narratives that you're telling yourself about a specific group of people, a specific neighborhood, yeah. a specific action. Are you really being present? Or are you just uh, fuf- uh, fulfilling the prophecy of the, of the narrative that's, been indoctrinated to you, indoctrinated to you, you know? Right, right. Yeah, you know, it's a, you know, this peaceful practice, you know, they say that soldiers who return home from suffering uh, post-traumatic stress disorder benefit from yoga and therapy. Um, some, some doctors, I was reading, some doctors are prescribing yoga as uh, therapy treatments as well. You know, and I think for the police department, it's so necessary, especially in New York. Last I checked, um, this year, I think it was six New York Police Department officers committed suicide. Sad. Four in the last few months. And last year was a record high. I think it was like in the early 20s. Um, you know, so I think yoga would definitely be beneficial for police officers. Um, President, Brooklyn President Eric Adams actually came out. And, and said it as well. He says that uh, specifically, and I quote him, he said, police, police suicides could be prevented if more cops meditated and learned yoga. It's so true. This is the president, the borough president, Mr. Adams. And he also sent a letter to the commissioner recommending that uh, the New York Police Department's new health and wellness task force include meditation and yoga into its agenda. So he took it serious and he really believes it. I hope it gains some ground. I hope so, too. I mean, they obviously need it. I mean, everybody needs it. Yeah. But Especially you know, they're, they're in front of violence all the time. They, they run to or the Or perceived violence, violence or, right? Or, or they're perceived violence. Right, right. But how are you taking it in? How are they taking it in? What are you taking home with you? What are you storing in your body? Yeah. Right? Because I could have an argument with somebody at a certain location, but what am I taking home with me? Right. You know, what, how is it affecting me afterwards? Am I still feeling sad? Am I feeling mad? What, you know, what are the protocols that I'm following for myself? And a lot of times people don't have a protocol, they don't have these tools because yeah. they were never taught or because it's, it was just never mentioned to them. Yeah. And then they're, we're, we're fucked because I don't know how to deal with this. I'm just experiencing it. And now it's a feedback loop. I'm mad that I'm sad. I'm sad that I'm mad. And then I just go deeper and deeper and deeper. And then maybe I start having suicidal thoughts. Right. I really do think that they should be taught 
or invest invest in mindfulness and teaching mindfulness uh, to manage stress the same way they're taught to shoot their weapons. A hundred percent. You know, so look, even even the union rep leader said that this is these times are probably the most stressful for police officers. Hell right? Yeah. Hell uh, yeah. Obviously, there's a lot going on. Um, why not? Why not mandate meditation and yoga practices for police departments? Again, maybe that's maybe I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you know there's a budget for that. Um, you know, I'm not sure where where the city is financially at this moment, but um, you know, I mean, I think in general, slowly people are understanding the importance of inner work. You know, little by little, because we're, we're seeing examples of how people use inner work to be them best selves or just how to cope and deal with situations that are extremely extremely toxic right right yeah and if the city you know if the city really cares about their officers mm-hmm. they would make sure that they create yeah. programs to uh to assist them in that right yeah um but in speaking of the city speaking of the government what do you think the government's role is in making yoga more accessible to people they have to create the space for it. They have to create the opportunity for people to make the decisions if they want to practice it. Right. Do you think it should be a part of their insurance? 100%. Insurance should 100%. pay for yoga? Yeah. 100%. If they get paid for therapy, why they can't Why can't they pay for, for yoga? Right, right. You know? Like I said, where's the self-study at? Where's the self-study? We need to study ourselves. We, we learn... Through college, through school, we learn so much about the world. Through your whole educational experience, through your training as a lawyer, all, all the trainings you did, how many trainings were about learning about yourself? You know, think about it. Like, we learn about the world, but we don't learn about the first world, our right. body, right. our mind space, and how that hues our experience we don't know that we're just in the moment we never get a time to step outside our, uh, ourselves and be like wait a minute this is not best for me oh right. you know what I need to deal with this right now I just got triggered yeah. you just deal with the trigger you don't realize that oh shit maybe I put myself in this p- position and then I got triggered and now I'm dealing with the effect of that right Right. yeah we we haven't done enough practice to learn separating ourselves from our body you know, I remember uh, this was maybe a year ago. You and I had a conversation. We were at a bar. We were we were having this conversation at a bar out of all places, right? <laughs> and um, we were talking about how men need to honor themselves uh, when it came to sex. And we were talking about preserving the chi. Remember that? Oh, yeah. You got to preserve that chi. It's life force. It's, it's it life literally force. gives life, right? Like, right, right. right. It's life force. But, yeah. you know, especially in, when, when it comes to man, we know the deal. Like, what I was taught, the only yeah. thing better than pussy yeah. is new pussy. Right, right. You know, or, oh, I, I it's, you, you could cheat on your girl. It's okay because we're like lions and lions got mad. We're sexual creatures. Yeah, we're creatures. That's just an excuse. That's You're not a, taking ownership. Exactly. And, you, you know, know what, what came first, you know, the chicken or the egg, you know, whether... 
we have more sexual desires in women, we, we tell ourselves that? Or is it something that has been interpreted based on the culture or misogyny, the mm-hmm. culture of misogyny, the mm-hmm. culture of patriarchy, right? Mm-hmm. Is this something that we just tell ourselves? 100%. We you have know? to be able to control our sexual energy. That's part of the self-mastery. Mm-hmm. Are you governed by your body or by your, your, your will? Which one mm-hmm. is it? If you're just governed by your body, what separates you from being an, another an animal, animal in the animal can drive driven by instincts we have we're given the opportunity of self-awareness that we could change our instinct right, right. through repetition right you know but, you know what we don't unfortunately we don't speak enough about how sex depletes us right let me tell you i you know what i hate like i see it a lot and i've been to a whole bunch of different uh, man groups, men groups, mm. and they never talk about that. That's crazy. They never me. talk about uh, how to deal with women or deal with sexual you know, urges. Somebody, sexual urges. They never yeah. talk about controlling that and how to deal with that. And right, people, because it, it's like it's just accepted. This is you a know man, why? You know why? And, and but women deal with that because women are shamed. Mm-hmm. You know, for the most part, women historically have been shamed to even express their sexual urges, mm-hmm. right? Um, but we haven't, and therefore we don't. We haven't built that muscle yet. You know, and as a result, historically for men, urges have come to have a life of their own, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and who's in control? Who's in control? Even, you know, whether they're men or women, they would look at a man and be like, oh, but, you know, he, you know, the woman was throwing it at him. Never, never at him as if, like, you don't expect a child uh-huh. to do the right thing. So you wouldn't expect a man, a man to say no to that you know, to to that easy access of of sexual pleasure, right? Um, and I think we need to level up. I think we need to like, hundred percent. You know, which is ironically because we're talking about sexual desires that you know are are produced because of lust, cause us to live a lackluster mm-hmm. life, right? Yeah, who's we're the always master? tired, right? Always looking for that fix. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times have you gone out with your boys? You haven't seen them in a while, right? You're going out with your boys, whether it is on vacation or whether it is going to the bar to get a drink. And you guys simply cannot enjoy a night out because some of your boys are, you know, look, and I used to be that too. Like, I'm not going to try to front. Like, it was about satisfying that urge. Mm -hmm. Like, yo, bro, I haven't seen you in a while. Chasing pleasure. Hope all is well. But, bro, I'm focusing on this. Mm -hmm. When I was young, I got lost many times on vacation. You know, there were many moments that I could have built with my boys, you know, but, you know, you meet someone on vacation, all of a sudden the vacation becomes about that. It hijacks your vacation. It strips you away from what the vacation was about, which was like to explore the country, you know, whatever, right? Or, you know, just hang out, have a good time with your friends. Um, But, you know, guys go missing because of these (laughs) urges, (laughs) They go, I'll be back. I'll be back. And you, you know, you, you like, you Let see, me get the keys. you see them on the flight back to uh, New York, you know, and if you don't get that controlled, um, you know, it can destroy marriages, relationships, stop you from achieving your goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're like that dude that doesn't come out of his apartment because he's either obsessively playing video games or he's like. Smoking, you know, smoking roaches, and <laughs> he's slouching on his couch with ashes on his T-shirt. You're that guy. It's the same thing. You're that guy, you know. And and that's why, uh, you know. So like, if you look at these ancient 
philosophers. They always did these things. When they were trying to level up, they would fast and they would be abstinent. The two strongest urges. I need to eat to live yeah. and I need to procreate to live forever. Yes. So those are the two things that you see a lot of these ancient philosophers do. They have to fast and then they, they're abstinent. They did that specifically to master the carnal desires and to be ready to be fit for deeper deeper knowledge, deeper mystery, or to be mm-hmm. even initiated or inducted into a mystery school, you would have to do that because you have to show that you are beyond the animalistic nature. Right. Yeah. You know? Imagine tell someone you'll be abstinent. Tell a dude to be abstinent. If you if a guy could be abstinent, then he's in control. Right. That's why I love this quote. Let me see if I if I get it, if I pull it up. I love this quote from uh, The Way of the Superior Man, written by David Detta, you know. And granted, you know, I don't agree with a lot of the views. It's somewhat antiquated when it comes to, you know, male expectations, right? Yeah. Um, but specifically to this subject, that we're, to, to this topic that we're talking about, sexual lust, desire, the quote goes like this. When you feel sexual lust or desire for any woman, breathe deeply and allow the feeling of desire to magnify and allow it to magnify more. Don't let the energy become lodged in your head or genitals, but circulate it throughout your body, using your breath as an instrument of circulation. Bathe every cell in the stimulated energy. Inhale it into your heart, then feel outward from your heart, feeling the world as if it were your lover. With an exhale, move into the world and penetrate it skillfully and spontaneously, opening it up to love. That's a fucking beautiful quote. That is exactly what sex is supposed to be about. Sex is a death practice. When you're with your partner and you guys have an orgasm orgasm, and you become one in that moment. It's the even exchange of energy. You let go of the self. The individuative self is no more. Mm. But in today's society, people are not like that. They're just satisfying a desire. But if, you know, what that guy's talking about is moving that energy throughout your body, you know, or, you know, yoga, they may say, oh, letting that kundalini rise up your spinal right. column yeah, right. and to activate different parts of your of your brain. That's what we need to do. It's a creative force. It's not a bad force. Right. You know, sexuality is a good thing. But when people are not taught to, not taught what it is it exactly, they just see it as, I just gotta, I gotta come. I gotta spit right. this out. Right. Like, no, this is, this is an opportunity where the ego fades. You become one with whatever you're with, whether right. you're with another man, whether you're a woman, whether you're in a space with a group with of people, with the experience. Right. The individuated indiv- self dies if you control the energy cor- correctly, if you direct it where it's supposed to go. Because, yeah, you, you could be coming, but there's something going on inside of you as well. And that's, that's a beautiful quote. And that's, you know, when I have sex with women, that's what I do. I die so we could push each other to a next another level of awareness. We become one for that moment in time. And that moment in time, you know, feels forever. You get the feeling of infinity. You remember through, you know, viscerally that we are one. Right. 
and that there's something that's outside of space and time and outside our body. Right. If it's just a physical pleasure, then, bro, you're just an animal, right. plain and simple. And not to say that we haven't been animals. Right? I've been an animal. Oh, I've been an animal. But, <laughs> but yeah, you know, we're not acting as whole human beings. Of course. We're not, you know, we're, we're working all of the instincts, and, and we would like to think that we've evolved. It's a creative force. Tell me, when, you having, when you're having sex, what are you creating? You know what I'm saying? Are you, are you just having sex for pleasure? Right. There are many reasons, so many reasons why men feel as if they have no control over these urges, right? Yeah, it's up to them to question whether it's due to drama, right? Mm-hmm. To trauma, I should say. Whether it's due, like you said, the story you, you tell yourself, what it is to be a man. A man is supposed to be having sex all the time. You know, sometimes we have to question whether we, uh, we entertain casual sex to feel good about ourselves. Like, why are we looking to feel good about ourselves through casual sex. Is this the only way you can feel good about yourself? Yeah. You know, are, are you releasing or yeah. are you receiving? Yeah. Which one is it, bro? Right. What do you think about Yeah, are you that? trying to take someone else's energy? That's how you're repleting? Yeah. I mean, that's how you're refueling by taking someone else's energy? I mean, energy? Um, yeah. You know, are you dominating or are you cultivating? Right. I hope you're cultivating. Right. You know, with your sexual partner. That's what it is. You can breathe life into yourself and into another person. But it just has to be directed properly. And yeah. you have to take ownership. But the moment you're being selfish, that's the moment that you are not cultivating. Right. You're depreciating your own value. Your own value. Straight up. Straight up. You know, and a lot of... It takes men many years to figure that out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for every situation where you're devaluing yourself you're taking away from an opportunity where you can value yourself Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's through abstinence whether it's through um, preserving that energy that gets released because of certain Mm -hmm. sexual encounters you can use that energy to focus on your goals you know because there's energy being released in every sexual encounter Mm -hmm. You know, and you have to decide because we only have but so much energy. So you have to decide where is your energy going? Your will has to be stronger than your desires. Right. Plain and simple. Right. And you know what? And sometimes you have to like sit down with yourself. You have to go through those thoughts. Maybe you have to like climb a mountain and figure it out up there. You know, mm-hmm. um, but you know, maybe you need to heal. And, uh, and that's okay. You know, but I think everyone gets there at a certain point. Um, but yeah, you know, but as far as healing, um, the practice itself, as far as yoga, you know, there's been uh, several instances of sexual allegations against uh, the leaders of yoga, right? Yep. Um, I know in particular there was a, one, one that I read about was sexual allegations against Yogi Bajan. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing oh, his name uh, the right way. Osho. Osho? They okay, they call him Osho. Where he had yeah, his, his own like, city in the U.S. And right, they were yes, yes. He was, he was the stuff. one that was known to bring yoga to the West. Yes. And there were a wave of allegations in the late 2019. Uh, this was like 16 years after his passing. I think they were brought up by... Is that Osho? Oh, whatever. Go ahead. Yeah, it yeah. was brought up by, by his secretary. Um, and then that opened up a can of worms. And then 
a whole bunch of women uh, came out yeah, and, and yeah. accused them of like just sexual harassment. Yeah, yeah. I'm and spiritual thinking, abuse. Yeah, I'm thinking of a, a Bikram, a yogi. Yeah. Definitely, you know, that you have to be... The thing is, when you're taking the role of a teacher, you put yourself in a, in a place where people trust you right. and they're vulnerable. Mm. You know, they're like, oh my God, this dude is going to enlighten me. I'm going to just trust whatever he says and does. And I'm assuming that this guru has my right. self-interest in mind. When in fact, some of these gurus are just... <laughs> they're chasing pleasure too of course you know I, I, physically oh man they can do all these yoga stuff and stuff like that but how do they move about in the world that's what you really have to look at listen to your intuition you don't real recognize real right you know I'm not a big fan of having a guru yes we should all have a teacher because you know there might be someone that's going to give us a perspective that we can open up but unfortunately a lot of people misuse their power. Right, right. And you just saw that, look, you see that a lot in, mm -hmm. in, in church, in religions, right? You see that a lot in different types of religions. You see people in leadership positions. Look, you see people in leadership positions in politics abusing their power, not only in this country but other countries. Uh, so, yeah, it just sounds unfortunate and almost too natural, which is power begets power, you know, that people in these positions are going to fuck up, you know, and, and I think, you, you know, maybe, your teachers wisely. maybe, maybe I'm cynical about the whole situation, because I, I think, I don't know, I don't know enough, like, yoga masters, or I don't know <laughs> people uh, that much in power, but you can only imagine um, how warped their reality is. Yeah, you know, they have hundreds of people following them. following them. Most of the 90, I think what is it, 95% of the people who do yoga are women. So you, mm. most of the time... First of all, they're, they're already in compromising positions, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Doing a whole bunch of stuff right mm -hmm. in front of you. Um, and, you know, so, you know... And they, have, know. they haven't mastered their own sexuality. That's right. the bottom line, you know, and especially for, for dudes, you know, that's a lot of times that's the toughest thing, mastering, ma uh, mastering their own sexual energy. Not taking advantage. Like, bro, you're not here to fuck her. You're here to right. help her grow. You're here to create that space for them for where they can be the, their best selves. Right, right. The moment you do anything other than that, you're fucking selfish. You're fucking up, right. Yeah. And that's it. I don't care what pose you could do. I don't care how many meditations you've done. You haven't learned shit because you're causing disharmony. Right. If you have a teacher that's creating disharmony, get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Because it's only going to get worse. You know? This is not an opportunity to take advantage of someone that needs healing. Right. You know, that means that the teacher needs healing. That's what that yeah. means. Yeah. And, you know, the profession, not the profession, but the organization itself, uh, I guess they created a, a roadmap to healing. Mm -hmm. um, I was reading it specifically uh, due to, you know, um, the sexual allegations against this leader. The organization came up with steps that were uh, to meet the challenge of the healing process. You know, whether it works, that that's yet to be seen, you know, but, but they did take, for me, and as far as it goes in line with what we've spoken about, like a, a holistic approach to dealing with uh, these types of, you know, allegations, these types of, of disharmony, 
um, wrong actions taken by 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 people, um, where you have to like just evaluate it overall. And as an organization, uh, they practice compassion and reconciliation uh, based on principles of restorative justice. And what they did was they implemented an internal policy review. So it's kind of like an internal affairs, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Um, they also hired an an external consultant. Uh, to you know, answer questions if instructors have um, any questions regarding ethics and professional standards, you know, so that they can be like, "Yo, bro, nah, you can't date your student." Mm-hmm. You know, they can set the tone because you know, once you start telling instructors that you can't date your students, everything else is off limits. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, I know that helps with the legal profession. That has helped a lot, and you know, whatever there's a conflict of interest, so maybe that helps with the organization, um, and also. Uh, Whatever you know, they they pay lip service to uh, being committed to uh, providing a safe and protective environment. Um, I'm not sure how they plan to do that, um, but they also have a listening tour um, where they go around and they ask uh, the community for feedback. You know, the community that actually uh, you know practices yoga, mm-hmm. and um, and I think it's, it's it's done confidentially. So. Um, that's their response to it. You know, like, what do you think about that response? I mean, you know, if that's after, you know, things have happened. Right, yeah. You know, but, you you know, uncomfortable, uh, they put these, uh, women put themselves in these positions, like, you have no idea what that position means to that person. Right. Now, I could put myself in a position, and it, it, opens up a traumatic experience. I right. put myself in the pose. The last time I was in this pose was when I got raped. Right. Or the last time I put yeah. myself in pose so was when my dad yeah. hit me. You right. know, and so people are going through these things in the yoga class. Mm-hmm. So the yoga teacher has to make sure, obviously the yoga teacher may not know that, but they have to make sure this, this is a place of healing because they're putting themselves in a vulnerable position, like figuratively and literally. Right. You know, so... I think I think it was a great thing that they didn't deny that the organization oh, was proactive yeah. in in giving in giving value to these allegations to their to these claims mm-hmm. uh, because it is important for the community I would imagine to acknowledge um, that this leader or all of these leaders could not get away with all of this terrible stuff yeah. without the protection of many people without a system that enabled such mistreatment right so um you know i hate the fact you know like we're talking about yoga but in general it's like how they say you know a girl a girl is my friend it's just a friend means a girl i haven't fucked yet right or or a woman right? or a woman a woman i haven't fucked yet you know and that's that that's the issue why why can't women have a relationship with a man that doesn't involve sex at all you know what i'm saying why is that? Why is there? Why does it have to be sexual tension? You know, like you, I don't. I wouldn't call you an awakened man if you don't have Not friends, platonic, platonic or, friendships, platonic right, friends from different genders. You're from different genders, Opposite or the gender. genders that you're attracted to. Right. That there's that is completely platonic. If you can't do that, that means you need to. You, there's work for you to do. Yeah. You need it's to. It's a do. lot of work for you to. Plain do. and simple. Yeah. You know, and 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 that's the issue. Is like. I want to go chill with this dude, but I don't want him thinking that I'm trying to get with him. I just think he's cool, you know. But women are always put in this their these positions that they have to show that they have to make sure, like, 
why can't you just be a good dude? You know what I'm saying? It's not all about sex. It's not all about busting or not. Just chill. You could chill with someone of a gender that you're attra- that you know you're you know attracted to this gender, but this relationship can be platonic. You know, I tell every uh, male student of mine like you need to have a platonic relationship with the gender you're attracted to because right. that's going to show you where you're at. Right. If you're always thinking about buns yeah. because, you know... Your development is adolescent. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You're too... You're, you're the, the geometry, the narrative in your mind is, is consuming you. Like, oh, I'm going to be her friend because it might be an opportunity that I might smash one day. Like, why are you even thinking about that? And that also transcends to other things because if you cannot... If you cannot control those urges, um, I wonder what else you can't control. Mm-hmm. You know, if those urges lead you to be disloyal to certain people that are supposed to be having your back, then, you know, I don't know if I can trust you, you know? Like, I don't know if I... If you can trust yourself, if you can't trust yourself, how can I trust you? Exactly. That's why I really, like, if I was to be blessed with having children, right? Um... I would really make sure that I do not expose my son, specifically my son, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like the boys need a lot of work mm-hmm. with hyper-sexuality you know, mm-hmm. as it being the norm. You know, a- a- another issue is that we see as men, right, uh, leaders... People that yeah. leaders in our community. Yeah, oh my God, he yeah. did all of this for the community, right. and then this dude is cheating on his wife. Yeah, I mean, all of the kids. But yeah, he's he's praised by his community, right. but then he's cheating on his wife. Like, but, yo, your first community is is your family, bro. I think, like, I, what's up with that? I think I, I think historically, we've blindly accepted that as a characteristic trait of an alpha male, mm-hmm. and. You know, and you know, with the way of the superior man, um, it, it pretty much talks that that is the opposite of an alpha male, someone that cannot control the urges. Um, so yeah, so again, like I would raise. You know, where where we, we grew up, we see that like this dude is the man, but he has a double identity. Right. How the fuck can you be the man if you're living more than one life? Right. You know, like you you're like this with your boys, and then you're like this with your wife. Right. You know, right. that's that's not a leader to me. Right. You know, the way you are should not change based upon space and time. It should mm-hmm. not change based upon your environment. The moment you're you you're changing based upon the external reality is the moment that you're a fucking slave. Mm-hmm. I do not allow the external reality, whether it's the shape of the room or women in the room. To govern my inner reality, mm-hmm. I, I, it's the opposite. My inner reality governs the outer reality, and if the outer reality is govern governing me, I allowed it to. I accepted it because it's going to serve me and other people. Right, right. And, you know, and this is this is not to ostracize, but it's it's, it's pretty much to say, yo, like, you know, you're not lesser of a man because you have these issues. You just have to like. This work at it exactly um you know and, and we need to create those spaces and we need to create those spaces those those spaces um also spaces of you know reconciliation um where 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 people have you know 
made mistakes and have fucked up. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to like sit down and get to stopping the behavior as opposed to sending them away. You know, mm-hmm. um, because there's no healing in sending people away. You know, the same way there's no healing in putting people in prisons for X amount of time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you you really have to develop program systems. Um, so speaking of reconciliation and yoga, um, I told you about um, this this yoga instructor, uh, this yoga instructor um, in Harlem, who had uh, taught yoga in Africa um, for more than a decade to survivors of the Rwandan genocide. I think her name was Laura Land. Have you have you heard of her? Uh, the name sounds very familiar. Okay, and, and it motivated I her. I think she to, owns a yoga school in Harlem. Yes, yes, she owns yes. A, a yoga school in Harlem. And um, I think it's called Three and a Half Acres, I believe. I'm not sure. But the interesting thing is that she uses what she applied in um, doing yoga practice with a focus on reconciliation for Rwanda genocide victims, you know, having them heal from a government or from a group of people that try to, like, eradicate them as a group. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and I, I thought that was pretty powerful. Yeah, the power of of me being in a class with other individuals that experience similar traumas, and we're all here together right. to relieve ourselves of this pain and to move Assist forward. Assist in the healing, right, right. To be reborn, just like we're in a, some type of pledge process. Right. And to get into a flow state and say, yo, we are one and I am not alone. This is a shared experience. It's extremely powerful. That alone is healing of itself. The fact that you are no longer lonely and dealing with that pain by yourself. Just that alone. And then you add the movement and developing that. Getting stronger physically. Interoception, proprioception, all that stuff. Right, right. You know, to really see things as they are. You were talking about that earlier, how like what we perceive and what how things are not the same and you get that in yoga like I could try to do a handstand right now and I feel like oh man I'm in my I'm in the street line everything's stacked up but then I record myself and I say oh shit I have a banana back I mm-hmm. thought I was in a straight line it felt like that but then after viewing it outside of myself with with the use of a camera I see what I felt and what was happening was not aligned and that's what happens a lot we think we what we're feeling is true but we're not interpreting these feelings correctly and that's what i find with a lot of people especially with myself you know we have to learn how to interpret the signals from our body correctly we never get to practice that yoga gives us that opportunity to say oh shit i feel like i'm in a straight line but i'm not oh i feel like i'm a straight line mm. and i am a straight line now, I, I, I've proven it to myself through, through practice. Right. But it goes beyond just, obviously, a physical standpoint. It's, it, it, it goes beyond, it goes to, like, when I'm experiencing, when I'm in a moment with somebody, like, is what, is my perception close to the absolute truth? Or is this is just from my vantage point and it's skewed because of past trauma? I got triggered by the color of the wall. I didn't realize that color of the wall and the, the, the position you were in. It reminds me uh, subconsciously of when I got hurt and right. now it's kind of bleeding through of how I respond to you even right. though you ain't doing shit to me. Right. And I really think it's coming from you when it's really coming from me. From me and my past experiences. Exactly. Let me ask you this. The way you think 
is interesting and and the way you approach life is also equally interesting which comes from how you think about life right would you consider yourself a pessimist or an optimist or possibly both uh i definitely wouldn't think of myself as a pessimist i think of myself as an optimist because there's optimist because there's always um because you know everything is forever and the concept of infinity and all that math stuff yeah. there's always an opportunity to become better okay you know and you can't see that as you know as a negative thing like oh i always got to do more no right. it's you just have to be your best right whatever that is so I, but don't you think it fades with time for example every child born tends to be born an optimist right and then um he becomes a teenager and he's like more optimistic he, he feels that he not only he's growing into you know becoming a young man and he's seeing the strength and he's seeing the energy but he thinks that time time is on his side mm. um you know he keeps working harder because he has time um and it's hard for a young man to believe that there is such thing as as death you know such a thing such as defeat mm-hmm. and um you know it you know you see them and you see that spirit that's that fearless spirit um but time does something to that and um and i'm wondering if it's the closeness of death you know where they start to now uh look at moments differently um yeah it definitely can uh, should create appreciation you know if we lived forever as charlie and joe would how much shit would we be actually doing like uh, i got forever i'll take my time with it i don't give a fuck i'll take my time with it that the death is it can be thought of as you as the ultimate memory issue because right. you forget who you are, right? We just transition to a different form, right? Energy lasts do you forever. Believe, do you believe in, in heaven? No, no, no. I I believe that we go from an, something, something we can identify with to this nothingness and we go back and forth. So you, let's say we could be meditating and you realize, oh my God, I'm connected to to everything I am God I am awareness but you never and you know I'm playing this role as Joseph but I don't give up playing the role I return to that place as Joseph but now with a new sense of awareness we don't give up the role that we play the role we play has to do with our place in space and time our body our mind our conditioning but we don't give we don't give that up we play between the world of form and the world of formless, of the world of the formless, of, or of concepts, right? So we're always going back and forth between those two. We don't just go to a place that, oh, I'm in heaven or I'm in hell. We're constantly going back and forth because the world of form is the world of expression, okay. of communication. And then when we go to that oneness, we see that, oh, shit. We're connected to everything, but this is a spiral or a snake eating its own tail or a torus, which is like a donut shape, which is basically we keep, we, we fold into ourselves 
over and over. So we identify and then we let go of identification of language, mm-hmm. of everything. But we go back and forth between the two. They're not separate from one another. They, we, we play both sides of that coin. Okay. Uh, we don't necessarily go to heaven. If that makes right. sense. Right, but, but because we come back. We, we come, come back, back to something else. We always come back. Um, which is also aligned with reincarnation. Yeah, but we're reincarnated all the time. The moment you your worldview changes, you're reborn. You know, are you the Charlie you were when you were 16? You may look the same, like, oh, yeah, I could, I could recognize you on the block, but you're, you're, you don't move the same, you don't respond the same to people. You've changed. You've reincarnated already. You don't have to have a different body or turn into a cow to say you reincarnated. Your cells are different. That's not the definition of reincarnation? Like, like coming back as a different body? Uh, For for some people. Some people say, like, oh, you know, whatever you were paying attention to before you died, you become, you know. Or or whatever you did uh, bad to. Yeah, or that, you know, I might come back as something. If I was doing bad, I might come back to being an animal that has less self-awareness. And then I eventually come back to a human being. My personal opinion is that we're constantly being reborn. The moment you change your worldview, how you see and, and interpret the world and take responsibility, right? The moment that change happens, you're a different person, right? Were you, okay. you the same person you were at 14? Definitely not. No, Definitely but not. scientifically, you don't have the same body, but there's a reoccurring feedback loop that keeps Charlie Charlie, of right. course. Right. But what about you is the same? So, the only thing is the same is that we are all moving towards unity, understanding ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we go back and forth to understand this. And because of this, you fully accept that you're going to die at some point. Oh, yeah, but I'm not, I mean, like... Everything dies. Nothing truly dies. Like, I don't, I don't connect, like I said before, like, this is my arm, but my arm is not my, it's not me. This is my body, but my body is not me. This body is going to be out sooner mm-hmm. or later, but I don't leave, my essence remains. I am not my body. I am what allows my body to exist. I am not the, the furniture in the house. I am the house. God is the house, like the house. The space is always going to be there. How the form is going to change with age and time. We see form dissipate or get stronger, whatever it is. But in your experience, you've always been conscious. That's never left you. The one constant in life is you. Your level of awareness, your level of responsibility changes. But you're always experiencing something. Always, no matter what, that never dies. How you are represented in this world will change, will fade, our skin, you know, whatever. But we're always here mm-hmm. in this infinite universe. Like, what's the center of something that's infinite? You know, to me, it's, it's you. It's where you put your mind, where you are. So you don't think in death, like, let's say... If your mind shuts off, doesn't that end everything for you? If your mind shuts off? Well, you know, that's the question of what came first? Consciousness, then body, or brain, 
And then the byproduct of our brain was consciousness and then our identity. You know, I believe consciousness existed before the form or before our body. And our body is like an antenna, you know. And, you know, it's this thing. It's like, oh, if I cut a piece of your brain out, Charlie's not going to be the same. Right? Right. That's that's, that's the, the argument. But we're energy. Energy never dies. It just change its form i'm not going to tell you what form you're going to be <laughs> but you're that energy you're that essence you like you, you are the thingness of things that never dies the representation the language the way which you can communicate the self-expression changes it's kind of like um you know if i draw a square on, if I draw a square right here on this table, this is a square, right? It's a square, but it's a representation of what a true square is, right? If I draw a square and all the sides are length one, this is an example of a square. We all say, yo, this is a square. But a true square cannot be measured. A true square has length and width, but it, I can't, the, a square is not measured which meaning it exists in this this conceptual reality, right. not in a world where we're measured. And the same thing happens with us. Like, I'm Joe. You can measure me. I'm tall. I'm this. I was born in 1982. But my essence cannot be measured. And because of that, it exists forever. Mm. It was never... I was, in, that, in that essence, I, never, I was never born and died. This, this being born and dying or... I look at it as doorways from one world to the next, from the void to form. So, so in, in knowing that there is this repetition, right, mm-hmm. um, do you think that affects the way you approach goal setting? You know? Um, yes. Because let's, let's talk about, you know, as far as being a reformer or a reimaginer, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you seek to remedy the injustices that are exist in a certain nation before they have been remedied. A, a thousand other injustices arise in another place. What do you like? What would you do in that situation? Would you say, you know what? I have time. I'm coming back into this lifetime. Would you let that? No, 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 no. See that? You know, you get, you know, it's like what they say. Uh, your active false expectation allows us to active false sensation, and some people interpret that as like YOLO, fuck it, I'm gonna live my life. Active false expectation, I'm gonna just do what the fuck I'm gonna do, I'm gonna right. die anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, you have to have compassion, and and given the form you have, you have a role to play mm-hmm. within your community, within your society, etc. So, no, it's not about uh, giving up because I know I am infinite and eternal. It's about bringing the ease in, right? We're, I, we all are traveling towards unity or at least the remembrance that we are unified, this this whole memory issue that we have. We keep forgetting how the pyramids are built. We keep forgetting how we're connected. We keep right. having these... We keep forgetting. We keep forgetting how we are connected, and that's my issue with this uh, good versus evil uh, in this world. There's two absolute realities, you know? Um, you know, good good and evil change throughout time. If I cut a chicken right now in front of you and I say some chanting, you know, or somebody else, they might say, oh, this dude is crazy. But if I did that 2000 BC or 1000 BC, 
they wouldn't be looking at me crazy. Right. Good and bad, evil changes in time. But our goal is to have the least amount of stress, you know, inflicted on each other right. to go towards that goal. So when I, when I, you know, you were saying uh, goal setting, I don't think about, you know, I have a goal, but my goal is not an event. It's more of a feeling. We always focus like, oh, I need to get this. I need to get that. No, I, when I think of my goals, my goal is I in 2020 or 2021, how do I want to feel? Mm. How do I want to feel tomorrow? How do I want to be? Like, I go back to the beingness, not the necessarily of what I'm doing. I mean, I have things that I need to do, right? That's how I, my, I figure out what I need to do to get the feeling that I need or the feeling that I want. Right. Which is just, you know, being at peace, having a good time. My people's is living their lives, and I'm right there with them, inspiring them and them inspiring me. So that's how I set my goals because that's, you know, it's, a, it's about the impact that we have on each other and the impact that our own goals and our own decision-making has on, on ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, and I and, and I believe that, and I think in order, and I'm speaking for myself, in order for me to have the most impact, I have to, I have to explain the life of that young man in the Bronx right now who hasn't had the ability to cultivate his mind, who hasn't read a book yet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who has not heard of M Theory 101, who hasn't heard Charlie Benny Charles' <laughs> podcast, right? Yeah. Um, that that man could be severely traumatized, hopeless, poor, and, um, you know, he can barely think about basic shit like taking a shower. So he sticks up people for money. His world is different. He's right, operating under his own rules. Our evolution... As a people, um, are also disadvantaging other people. A man like the young man in the Bronx lives in survival, and um, those instincts of survival makes him animalistic, right? Um, in the sense that an animal lives in the senses, mm-hmm. in the right now and what he sees, because urgency demands it. We in this nation can be experiencing misery and happiness at the same time as if we were in different planets. And it's because one can't exist without the other. It's the duality. It's the yin and yang. One gives birth to the other. So that's why we have to learn how to ride that wave, you know. Happiness is transient as well. You know, have you been happy forever? No, you've had happy moments, you had bad moments. But how do you, how do you still be your best through that? Mm. How do you still be your best knowing that your actions, though intentionally are meant for good, are hurting someone else that you did not intend to hurt? Mm -hmm. So, for example, I do criminal defense, right? And there's a victim... Uh, that feels that they were not protected by the system if my guy's acquitted, right? If there is a victim, not all cases have victims. But there's also someone who's just arrested on a drug charge and he's probably addicted to drugs 
and he's in jail for possession. And I'm able to get him out and um, guide him through a process where he can re rehabilitate without being in prison. You know, like there's two ways to look at a situation. You know, there's two ways to look at it as a criminal defense attorney. There's two ways to look at it as a prosecutor. Um, I think we all play a part in the good and the evil. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I know it's a sensitive topic. Let's, you know, let's talk about 9-11, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I apologize to anyone who has lost anyone in 9-11. Uh, I'm not trying to trigger anyone here. But some question whether this nation is at all innocent from what happened during 9-11, right? Why was the World Trade Center hit? Why was it hit? What business was happening in the World Trade Center? And how did that business affect other countries? Like, we have to think about that. Or we shouldn't think about that. That act, which was a horrendous act, right? You know, the act itself is horrendous, right? But we don't think about what transpired it. We don't think about how we as a country benefited from the international trade services being provided in that building. Mm -hmm. We don't think about how our lives are enhanced by the mistreatment um, of other countries. So that begs the question, like, are we contributing to an international system of inequity? You know, are we... I don't know. You know, like... I mean, we have to be responsible for what we're aware of. You we know? have to be responsible for what we're aware of. Exactly. You know, and... Let's say if you are aware of this, because you asked for that. Or, or you search for that information. You have to be responsible. You know, it comes back to the even exchange. It's not about I win and they win. It's even exchange. We both, we're both winning. We're both happy with the outcome. We're both growing. But even when it comes to our society or countries, it don't work like that. Mm. And that's where disharmony begins. Right. You, again, just to bring it, around full circle, this is why you believe that mathematical equation relates to life, right? Of course. It's, it's the feedback loop. These are all feedback loops. We keep feeding ourselves over and over, you know? And if we don't realize that, we start blaming everything except for ourselves. We cannot be that. We are self-aware. Be responsible for what you're aware of, you know? It's, I always would think, like, when I was younger, I watched these Kung Fu movies. It's like, you had the good Kung Fu master and you had the bad Kung Fu master. But the bad Kung Fu master was evil, but he was always as good as the good master. How is that possible if he's is evil? You know, but one is selfless and the other one is selfish. Which one is doing the win-win? Obviously, the good Kung Fu master. And it comes down to the same thing to our society or within our own groups. If you're aware that you're hurting somebody and you just brush it off like, well, he got to deal with that, that's on you. That's on you. If you didn't realize you hurt someone, go make amends, 
apologize. Listen, I was at this level of awareness. I did not see this coming. If I knew, I would have resp- I would have uh, maneuvered differently. From from that experience, I learned, and because of that, I have been reborn, reincarnated, and I am moving around in the world in a different manner to ensure that this does not repeat. Right. What do you want to repeat? Do you want to repeat pain? Do you want to repeat uh, everybody winning? You you're gonna you're gonna deal with that karma. You're gonna deal with that karma. Plain and simple. But what happens is that whether it's societies or people in general, they could be aware of something, but they don't want to take the responsibility for it. Yo, I know, I know me eating, four in the morning, doing this, it's probably not going to give me the body I want, but it makes me feel good. And then they just brush it off, and then still don't complain where you don't have the body you want. Oh, you don't meditate. Well, don't complain. But then you complain when you can't focus your mind, when, when, you're, when you're deep in the hole. But you're not putting in the work. You know what you need to do. Why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you being responsible? Like, stop blaming. Like, stop pointing your finger at at something outside of yourself. It's your life. It's you. You're going to have to deal with it. Plain and simple. But what are you going to do? Are you going to be responsible? Or are you going to be a victim? And, you know, everything's going to be like an ex- extrinsic motivation, no right. internal value system. It's just not a good luck. Right, right, right. <laughs> we want harmony, <laughs> right? You can make money being a bad guy. You can make money being a good guy. Which one serves more people? And that's what you have to ask yourself. And if it's just serving you, then maybe you should reevaluate it because we're not on this earth by ourselves, probably not even in this galaxy by ourselves. Right. You believe in aliens? Why not? I mean, said why not? Why not? I mean, do you really think, you know, there's so many other planets that have stars with big balls of fire giving life, the light giving life. And, uh, you know, why can't it, why can't it happen somewhere else? Why can't there be other sentient beings? Look how much different sentient beings we have on earth different life forms obviously these life forms have different levels of awareness but just how, how look how much we have the uh, sentient beings on earth the ones on the, on the water the ones flying in the sky you really think that this is the only place where this happens with where something has become self-aware that they develop technology and tools to map the skies and understand the mathematics underlying the, the universe no, I definitely do think that there's other, you know, conscious beings out there. Plain and simple. What they look like, I don't know. <laughs> but you think uh, we've developed technologies to help us get closer to that? Oh, a hundred percent. But obviously, we're in this universe, and maybe in a different planet, they're they're following the same laws that are the same physical laws. You think they're following the same laws? You think they... In this universe. In this universe. universe. If it was like a multiverse, then the the laws were different, like gravity was different and things like that. I mean, gravity is different like on different planets, but the universal laws I'm talking about. But yeah, I think we developed that technology. We're we're slowly becoming, getting closer and closer to that. You know, sooner or later, we'll live on a different planet. Would you Mm -hmm. consider... And then imagine we live on Mars and you have a baby on Mars. Would you consider that baby human? Right? I don't know. The, 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 the international? 
Yeah, <laughs> international, intergalactical. What? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we we our idea of what human is is changing, evolving. Mm. So Let me ask you this: Do do you think we're developing? Do you think in our lifetime, or in the lifetime of humanity, you will see another sense, uh, like this new sense that we create as a result of biology demanding it, like aside from touch, smell, seeing. If we're if we're upgrading our hardware and like putting technology in our body, because all the technology we have now has been expanding the limitation of our senses. I put gla- I, I create glasses, I see better. I put this in my ear, right. I hear better. Right. You know, so we're expanding our senses eventually to add another sense. Yeah, if it ends up becoming part of the world, like our body, the world, the first world we live in, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think. Now we can see infrared because I put something in my eye. That's right. a brand new sense or, or added sense to the sight, at least. Right. Yeah, that that's interesting because it does feed into the other senses. What I, what was coming to mind right now is because of our ability to uh, be connected to what's going on all around the world, uh, through through the internet, whether we will eventually create, develop this sense of like feeling what others feel, what other like other humans, like other humans are feeling. Um, you know, my mother I remember when when I was twenty, she told me that she didn't have to talk to me to know that something had happened, and she said that. Around the time when she didn't know that I had gotten arrested in Miami when I was like 20 years old for a bullshit situation, case got dismissed. I remember. Um, you were there? I heard, I heard. Okay. I was like, wow. She says she felt something, that, that something was terribly wrong during that time without even talking to me. I'm wondering if, as humans, we would develop that same level of connectivity I mean, I think we have that connectivity, specifically for women and mothers. They develop that automatically because once you have a child, you're trying to communicate with the child without the use of our language. So, you know, your mom's observing you and seeing how you move, but there's things that go into her subconscious that's giving her an understanding of what her child is feeling. Mm-hmm. So women, mothers, are put, or parents are just put in that position Automatically, Traditionally, it was always the woman taking care of the kids. So that's why you would say women are more intuitively because they were training for that all the time. I got to figure out what the baby's hungry when it's not. What is the, right. you know, they're, they're using a lot of feeling. The baby's not telling them, uh, you know, verbally. So they had that, that opportunity to develop that sense of intuition. So, you know, it comes down, you know, back to the, to the consciousness because if, if, we could, if I could put consciousness in a robot, you know, you're not human, but you're conscious. So it's like we're just changing our sleeves or the, the hardware. Mm. But definitely, I do definitely think that we could feel each other, read each other's minds. You know, it's like when we watch a movie together and it's a horror movie and we're responding the same way. Our, our, our brain, we're doing brain coupling. Our, our neural networks are, are doing the same things and we're, we're being connected and this is why we're responding the same way. We both got scared. We both laughed at the joke. That 
is connecting us. We're in the same brain states. We have the same brain waves going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, we're both scared or we're both happy, but that gives us that feeling of union or oneness. Right. A life worth living to you is a life of being in steady consciousness. Yes. Yeah, life. want to add to that? Yeah, for sure. A life worth living is... Uh, we're, we're, there's many ways we could live forever, right? With our kids, with uh, leaving something behind. But a life worth living is is one that creates an impact. You know, like this is not about me. This is about us. The true oneness. That's that's what feeds me. Right. You know, contributing to that oneness of the universe. Of course, that of connection. Humanity. Knowing that I, I not was, only amongst humans but amongst nature. Amongst yeah, of course, of course, yeah. You know, I'm not, I don't live on Earth. I am part of this. I am Earth. Mm. You know, we, 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 you know, they always say, you know, we, we're, we're made up of stardust. We're, we're the same thing in different forms. We just put it in a different shell. You know, you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. Still water, but the shape is different because of the bodies that's being held in it. Yoga Joe, man. <laughs> it's always interesting. And this is going to be my last question because I know we got to wrap up. Is there anyone, living or dead, that you kind of look to them to spiritually advise you? I mean, you know, it's funny you say that because this year I told myself, I was like, I need to find more teachers. You know, there was time I was just by myself and doing my internal practice. But, right. you know, I get inspired by anybody who's growing, anybody who's going against challenge and moving through the challenge. If you're mm-hmm. doing that, you're inspiring me. I don't care if it's... You know, it has to do with basketball, it has to do with yoga. If you're pushing against the grain and your will is stronger than your circumstance and you're using that, you're inspiring me. Right. Different people inspire me for different things. But it's, you know, it's the growth, it's the feeling like, yo, this person's doing it. Right. I could do it too. This person's just reminding me of what I'm capable of because. At the end of the day, we are all equal. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. So when you're able to do something, it just reminds me. It's just an example. Okay. I can't really think of one person. You know, I can look at my brothers, I can, like my, my blood brothers. I can look at my friends. Anybody that's being their best self. That's, that's a tough question for me to just say because yeah. like, people just inspire me for different things. Right, and I can see, and I can see that. It's hard for you to answer because you probably get it from so many different places. It, yeah, there's I, not just a single, you know, person or a selected few. I could look at a dog people. and a dog playing right. with his, you know, its its children, its cubs, and, and be inspired. I'm like, right. oh my god, look, that's love. That's what's up. You know, I can I can see the tree swaying, and I I could get inspired. That tree is alive too. Mm. You know, so I pull inspiration from everything and not just things that are. Conscious, you know, life itself is inspiring to me. That's what's up, my brother. We've been here for a while. Yeah, <laughs> time. What happened with time? I know, I know. It's all uh, relative. Time, yeah, time is uh, infinite, right, in this room. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yo, bro, thank you for your time. Thank you for your interesting conversation. Hope to do this soon again. To be continued. To be continued, brother. Para siempre. Para siempre. Charlie, not Charles.